This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, we're live on a Friday edition, a happy hour Friday edition of the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What it be, what it be, one and all. It is Mike Hill with you, Josh Henning, producing today's show. There we go. Now I can hear it. I was waiting. I said, I think we just lost. I could not hear anything in my head, so I was a little lost for a second. But there is the music. Happy Hour Friday. What is up? We are live at the ShopRite LPGA Classic. Many of years we've been out here. And I got to tell you, this thing is gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is maybe the biggest Friday that I've ever seen out here. This place is jumping. The weather's fantastic. Where we are situated right in the... Uh, in the um, kind of the alley of all of the shops and the sponsors and there's all sorts of food and drinks i mean my gosh they got so much going on out here at the Shoprite lpga classic and we're happy to be here as always i'm actually going to be hanging out here on sunday as a spectator uh, tomorrow is a big day here as usual but I, I will be here on sunday uh hanging out so uh, make it a good weekend stop out here on a friday and uh, check it all out. We got uh, a lot happening for you on this uh, Friday edition, as we do on a happy hour Friday. Let us know what you're having on a Friday. I started off today with not a uh, nice cold beer because I'm working, but uh, one of the vendors over here brought me this uh, Peach Paradise Accelerator, and uh, I'm going to give this thing a try here. And that is how my happy hour Friday is starting. But what are you having on your happy hour Friday, as always, give us a text. Let us know. Give us some suggestions. Where can I go? What can I get? 609-403-0973. We got to start things off with the Phils, uh, who last night they win again, five in a row for the Phils. You know, and these are, listen, they beat the Tigers, and we talked about it uh, early in this week. Last Friday when we were at the uh, Ranch Hope golf event right we were at the ranch hope golf event last week and we had said on that friday that the phillies have to get five out of six and that they have to sweep one of these two teams and they did that they lost that game on friday night against the nationals and then they took care of business saturday sunday monday tuesday they didn't play wednesday and they went on thursday so they did what we asked them to do they swept the Tigers, and they took two out of three against a bad Nationals team. And the narrative always is when a team beats somebody, they've won five in a row, the narrative always turns into, like, nobody wants to accept, hey, they're playing better baseball, it's good to see them winning, it's always, woe is me, how can I find the negative? Look, I'm here, my on-site producer, Danny Ryan, did it, right? Danny produces uh, the locker room on Sundays with Billy, and maybe Billy's rubbing off on you, Danny. But the first thing, you know, we talked about is, hey, the Phillies have won five straight. And he says, well, they did it against bad teams. Who gives a rats? You've got to win games just get in the right direction. Like if I came on here and said, well, the Phillies have lost five in a row and they lose to the Tigers, that's not good. You have to beat the Tigers to start moving in the right direction. You have to beat the Nationals to start moving in the right direction. When the Phillies won nine straight games last year in the month of June, they did it by beating 
not great teams. Arizona, not a good team last year. They did it by beating teams that you should beat. And the sign of a good team is beating the teams that you should beat. So the Phillies have climbed the ladder. They're now two and a half games out of the wild card. And I know the detractor will say it's too early, but the same guy will tell you that they're not very good. Well, if they're two and a half now and you don't care, why would you care if they were six out? You can't have it both ways. The team is playing better baseball, and the reason they're playing better baseball is twofold. One, last night, I challenged Zach Wheeler to give me a good start, and he didn't give me a good start. He gave me a great start last night. He had a no-hitter going through eight. He gives up the error on the throw by Harrison, and then the base hit. They take him out of the game, and then the next thing you know, the guy pitches the game of the season for him, and he leaves, and he's losing the game. Well, a lot of that is, you know, hey, I don't care. I said this yesterday. I don't care about the offense if they win one nothing, 2 nothing. Don't care about any of that. I wanted to see the pitching staff kind of get their act back together. And this week, maybe you guys can get me the information on this because I think it was seven from Wheeler, seven from Nola, seven from Sanchez, seven from Walker. Four straight starts, their starters have gone into the seventh inning. And guess what? That is what the blueprint was at the start of the season. I got Nola, I got Wheeler, I got Walker, I got Suarez. And those four guys, when they go, if they give me competitive outings, I got a shot to win. You're not going to have an offensive explosion every single night of the week. But if your pitching can keep you in the game, you don't have to have nights where you score eight runs, 11 runs. And you saw it last night. The Phillies pitching kept them in the game, and then they got some key hits. You know, I thought... The ninth inning of that game was a character victory last night, and it was a win that you need to have that type of win in September and October when you have meaningful games, right? When you get into the playoffs or you get into September and you're jockeying for position, you have to be able to say, all right, Bryce Harper, leadoff double. Don't leave him stranded. we got to get that run around. And I thought last night was one of the more impressive wins because you do have a no-hitter going. And it's easy to say, hey, it's a no-hitter. We win 5 nothing." But no, it's a night where their offense wasn't going, it wasn't clicking. They get down in the game that they have a no-hitter. You know how deflating that is? The pitcher's throwing a, a freaking no-hitter. And, yeah, Wheeler 7 and a third, Walker 7, Nola 7. So, Josh, thank you. Yes, they... uh they did have three straight outings, and the, the, whoever who was the other four straight, I thought it was four straight. Suarez, right? Thank you, Danny. Four straight outings of pitchers getting into the seventh inning. Yeah, seven on Sunday from Ranger. So they've had four straight outings, and to me, that's what I asked for first: get your pitching in order. And look, you're not going to win five nothing, eight nothing, nine nothing. What you're going to do is find ways to win three two. And I thought last night's game was a character win for this reason: the guy's cruising, he's throwing a no hitter, but your offense is floundering. You're not doing anything. You're up one nothing. The guy loses the no hitter, and then he loses the game. But the team, when you lose a no hitter and your pitcher's throwing a no hitter, and you then give up the lead, it's easy to just come crazy. Is that your watch? <laughs> the most random thing. Like, a, the watch is just sitting there. It's like a magician took it off your wrist and just put, put it on the table there. Like, wait a second, is that your watch? It's like, though, when your guy's throwing a no-hitter, and then you lose the no-hitter and then the lead, it's easy for the team just to kerplunk. 
and just be like, we we had a no-hitter, and now we're losing the game. But that was a character way for them to come back. And the way they do it, you know, Harper, double, and it's like, all right, he doubles. Don't leave him stranded there. And they ended up getting the run. And then for Cody Clemens, I mean, listen, I talked about Clemens yesterday. He's a guy that I said, don't get too excited about, okay? We've seen these acts before. The John Mayberry Jr., he's the guy who always comes up. You know, he had a bunch of home runs in part-time role. And then when he had to play full-time, he really struggled. We've seen other guys, you know, Edmundo Sosa. He's another guy. You play him a little bit, he gives you a spark. You have to play him a lot. Well, he's Edmundo Sosa, and that's not good. Cody Clements has given this team more than anybody can anticipate. And I said this yesterday. Look, Roger Clements, his father, was my favorite player in the history of baseball. I wore number 21 in almost everything I did. 21 is always something because of Clements. And I think Batalico brought this up in the post game is that poor Cody Clements is always, hey, that's Roger Clements's kid. And look, there have been other players in baseball whose fathers have played, but few have their fathers been Roger Clements, right? I mean, even like Ken Griffey Jr., Ken Griffey Sr. was a very good player. He wasn't Roger Clements. Roger Clements, like, might be the greatest right handed pitcher, arguably. I know. The whole cloud over top of Clements. But still, he's Roger Clements' kid. But I think I agree a little bit with what Vitalico said in the postgame last night. Maybe he is starting to kind of carve out his own thing. And I think what his own thing is is a good left-handed utility role guy. If the Phillies have to start on Cody Clements every single day, that's probably not a recipe for success. But, man, he had, first off, he had the first hit of the game last night, and then he had the last hit of the game last night. A double, he wraps it into the corner, they come around, Trey Turner draws a walk, and they end up winning the game. But it's a character type of win, and it's the kind of win that, you know, you like to see because it was the kind of game that it felt like, why can't, oh, they, they have to win this game, the guy's got a no-hitter, and then he loses the no-hitter, and it feels like a bad team loses that game, right? A bad team has the guy spin a no-hitter. His team can't help him out. They cough up the lead, and then they lose. So I thought it was a good sign for a team that a lot of people are wondering about. You know, I, I, I laugh at the early April, May, June baseball takes, right? We should write these down when you see them. And you, we should write these down. And I, and I talk about, he, uh, Danny just showed me a stat, and I talk about how early it is in the season. Uh, Clemens last night, batting average went up like 12 points. So again, when we make outlandish claims, think about where we are in the calendar. When your batting average goes up 12 points in one night, I mean, you know we're still early in the season. But I wish we could just get a way to filter April, May, June, and July baseball takes and repurpose them later on in the season for people that are like, this team's bad. I've made my decision. This is a bad baseball team. Uh, this is the horrible manager. Rob Thompson's terrible. This team's awful. You know, and I think to myself, do you know anything about baseball? I mean, do you know anything about, first off, one, this team is not the team that we anticipated this team being at the start of the season. So while this team has not played great baseball, to define them 
of this is who they are with what they had is just completely lunacy, right? That would be saying, like, the Phillies stink when Bryce Harper's not playing. Well, of course, they're not the team that they're going to be when Bryce Harper's on the team. So anything they did in the first month of the season, this is like when the, the Sixers play a game, and they might play a night without Joel Embiid. And, you know, we'll come on the air the next day and we'll say, look, any game they play without Joel Embiid, I just can't take it. I, I, there's nothing I can put into that game because there's nothing that they do without Joel Embiid that they're going to be when they do have Joel Embiid. So anything that happens on a night when Joel Embiid doesn't play, it, it's just like thrown out the window. So essentially the first night of the Philly, the first month of the Phillies baseball season, for me, that, that sample size is irrelevant. Now, I could take it for Nola, I could take it for Wheeler, I could take it for others, but not as a team as a whole. The team as a whole was just an incomplete. Now, we talk about why this team has struggled. They don't have a right-handed bat, the Reese Hoskins thing. That, though, is an absolute. They're not getting Reese Hoskins back. So that is something that I think is the next challenge for this team. I think this team has shown now, okay, Nola, Wheeler, Suarez, if Walker can get his consistency going, they have four guys who can spin a good game pretty consistently. That's what this team was built on. They got to find a fifth guy. That's something that Dave Dombrowski is going to have a challenge, I think, on how he's going to figure out a way to get a fifth guy. And guess what? That's Dave Dombrowski's job to go find that fifth guy because you can't keep running out there what they're doing unless Dombrowski and the front office internally is looking at this team and looking at where they are and just asking themselves, can we stay afloat? Can we hang around? Can we be within an earshot of a wild card berth and get Painter? Do they look at Painter as the answer to this conundrum right now? And I don't know when Painter is going to be back. And look, that's a lot of pressure and a lot to ask a guy who really has no, I would say really has no, he has absolutely no experience. I mean, the guy is, what, 19 or 20 years old? You're asking and putting a lot on the arm of a 20-year-old kid to come up here and say, we need you to fill that fifth starter role and give us quality games for two months of the season. I'm just anticipating that maybe he can come back in August. So that's one thing, because that's when the trade deadline is. What's the trade deadline, Danny? August 1st or 2nd, something like that? August 1st, I think it is. I know they changed it. Well, it used to be July 31st. They moved it a couple days or something like that. August 1st, okay. So August 1st is when the Phillies, they have between now and August 1st to kind of decide. All right. Do we want to be a team that's in play for like a Drew Smiley Right? Do we want to go out and get the veteran who just kind of, like a Kyle Gibson, what they did a couple of years ago. When they got Kyle Gibson, they just kind of, you know, that's a fifth starter who some nights is going to give you seven, some nights he's going to give you four, some nights he's going to give you six, some nights he's going to give you five, but he's just going to kind of be out there and eat those innings up for you. He'll be a uh, professional, you know, innings eater. Or... Do you want to hold on with what you have? Barely falter. Maybe they bring him back up. He goes down to the minors, straightens himself out, a la Jose Alvarado last year. You send him down. Hopefully he comes back and finds a way to be a little bit more consistent. You know, Jose Alvarado has turned into one of the best relief pitchers in all of baseball. I'm not thinking that you're going to send Bailey Falter down to the minors and he's going to come up and be Sandy Koufax. But 
he wasn't this bad last year. Bailey Falter gave you games last year that were competitive games. And if you can just get that level of Bailey Falter back, can that get you to August 1st? So those are some of the decisions that I think that after, you know, we're into June now, first month, uh, first week of June, and you take a look at what are some of the things this team uh, needs, that would be one. They need to figure out what to do with that fifth starter stop. And, and listen, I don't think they have to do anything. I'm not giving up, put it this way, I'm not giving up Abel, uh, Mick Abel or, or, or McGarry. I'm not giving up, a. Um, by the way, Mike McGarry will join me at uh, 3 o'clock today. Uh, not the Phillies pitcher, the, the writer from the Press of Atlantic City. He is here, we'll be on site, we'll talk a little fills with him. But I don't think they need to give up a high-quality prospect to go get a fifth starter. I mean, so those are the, the the conversations. Okay, how important is that fifth starter? It's not – like, people were going crazy about the fact that they kept putting Bailey Falter out there. And I'm like, is this really – is this really where your anger is directed at? Is well, that Bailey Falter is pitching every fifth day when all these other problems persist? What do you got? Well, Mike, let me ask you this question. What – what is worth it more to you? Getting a fifth starter, as you mentioned, for a lesser prospect or getting a higher tier pitcher for a prospect that would knock down guys like Nola and Ranger and Walker down the list of starters? Yeah, that is probably more appealing to me. If you told me I'm getting... A, you know, yesterday, I think uh, Bob Wankel mentioned Lucas Giolito, right, from right. Chicago. Yep. If you told me I was getting maybe a, a, a upper part of the rotation pitcher, that's more appealing to me than adding just a, um, a run-of-the-mill fifth starter. Like, I know one of the names that's been thrown out there a lot is Shane Bieber. And remember the last time the Phillies went and got a pitcher from Cleveland was Cliff Lee. They gave up a lot of prospects, but it panned out for them. Uh, yeah, like if you told me I'm getting a legitimate top of the, I don't say top of the, I don't think they're going out and getting an ace, right? But I think a guy that would be, put it this way, all right, is this what you're asking? You Are you asking what would be more, what would I be more inclined that they do? Go get a guy that would be one of your playoff starters? Correct. Okay. Like another, in other words, you're a one, two, or a three. If you're pitching in the playoffs, you generally need minimally three, and, the, and sometimes you need four. Right. Theoretically, you let, let's just say you need four. I have no problem with Suarez, as if he's my fourth guy in the playoffs, he's already proven to me that he's fine. So I, I, I have think, no, I, I have say, no problem with yeah. Suarez in the playoffs. I think if Rangers are four instead of your three, I think that makes this team. Much more formidable. Well, the question is then, what is Walker? You brought Walker in here to kind of be uh, that guy, right? To be that third guy. And that Walker, I think they brought Walker in here to be the third guy and that Suarez could be the fourth guy. And then I talked about yesterday with Bob. He said, well, you know, last year Suarez kind of was, you know, pitching in the bullpen. Then they brought him to the starting rotation. They went out and got Matt Strom and Soto to kind of maybe fill that role so they don't need Suarez to do both things next year. Well, I mean, year, you look year. at what Ranger has done in his last few starts. He has had two straight starts where he's given up no more than two runs. Yep. And in both of those starts, you're talking about a guy that's going deep into the game. You know, he really- got six and two-third innings in the one game, seven in the next. 
I like Suarez. I've always been a Suarez fan. I have no problem. If Ranger Suarez is my fourth guy in the playoffs, I don't have a problem with that. So under your scenario that you just asked me, and it's a fair, good question, I would prefer if I'm Dave Dombrowski, you just said, would I rather go get a guy that's going to be my one, two, or three, or just go get a fifth guy? I would probably say... I would go get a one, two, or three if that was on the table. Because to me, and you tell me how you feel about this, Mike, I feel like I look at the Phillies, I say, I can't worry about what all three or four of those prospects are going to be three, four years from now if I'm trying to win now. Well, they're in a weird spot. I've talked a little bit about this, about the spot that they're in in terms of the money they spent, the way they've built this roster. They're in absolute positively win-now mode. And their problem that they have is their minor league is not equipped to help them now. So they have to win now with the players they have now. This isn't like the Cincinnati Reds where, hey, we're kind of, you know, here. Let's go get our best prospect and bring them up. They're not in win now mode. They can bring their best prospect up and hope that he just infuses life to this team. The Phillies paid for this team to be good. They didn't groom this team to be good. Right. And that's why I'm saying, for me, if you're trying to win now, there's nothing wrong with sacrificing at least one or two of your future prospects to win now. Well, I, I would say this. Um, they have to <laughs> – I think they're trying to balance – Tim, thank you so much, sir. My man Tim from over at uh, McGettigan's 19th Hole just hooked us up with uh, some some fare, some nice fare. And I got to say, where's that girl at? With This drink is outstanding. Have you tried this drink? This drink is outstanding. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I am blown away. This drink is really – try that drink. You like peach? Yeah. Try that drink. That might be the best peach <laughs> drink I've ever had. You do love a peach. You do love a good peach drink. That is really good. Now, it says no sugar. I don't know how that's possible. The thing tastes like I just shoved sugar down my gullet. There's different I mean, types of sugar. Jeez. Oh, my God. It is outstanding. My favorite drink. My favorite drink in the drink space – Right now and for the last so-and-so is Snapple Peach. I drink zero sugar. Snapple Peach is my number one draft choice. I can confirm this. Yeah, I drink Snapple Peach. This is, this has, I'd have to say is better. Wow. I mean, this drink is outstanding. It's unbelievable. What is this called? Accelerator Peach Paradise. Some girl, you know, this is what you get when you're at the LPGA. You got a lot of these vendors, and they have a lot of samples, and they're just walking around up and down. My buddy just texted me, where are you? I said, I'm at the LPGA. He says, oh, I thought you were at a bar. I was going to come hang out. I said, I am at a bar. The bar's right in front of me. McGettigan's 19th hole is right here. They've got an unbelievable outdoor bar. It's an old container that they cut out, and the bar's inside, and... um there is a plethora. Where was that food thing you got me? The, 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 is that it right there? Oh, man, that thing was outstanding. That thing was packed. Holy mackerel. All right, Happy Hour Friday. What do we got? What are we drinking on a Happy Hour Friday? You know, last week on Happy Hour Friday, I got to give a shout-out to farmers and bankers in Woodstown. Danny, you were there. They brought the beer. That beer was excellent. Duva, where's my car? It was excellent. I got to give them the sh- that beer is happy hour Friday. I'm going. What did he say? Yeah, great voice for radio. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that Duva, where's my car? Beer. That's a winner. 
farmers and bankers, thank you for the beer. I uh, appreciate it, and it was outstanding. Uh, it was really good. All right, that's where we start. Uh, all right, we got a lot going on today. We're at the LPGA, ShopRite LPGA. We got the uh, tenders there from uh, McGettigan's 19th. And uh, my buddy says, are you at McGettigan's? Yeah, I'm looking right at McGettigan's. I'm literally in the parking lot of McGettigan's. <laughs> the bar is right here. I am there. We are right outside. Uh, Mike Hill Sports Bash, Mike McGarry at 3. Uh, Adam Kaplan football at 4. Um, Dave Jagler is calling the Phillies game this weekend for ESPN Radio. Saturday, we'll have the game for you on 97.3 ESPN. Dave will call the action. He's going to give us some insight on what he's seen from this Phillies team from an outsider's perspective. He is the play-by-play voice of the Washington Nationals full-time, but he also does weekend baseball for ESPN Radio. So it's going to be a really cool perspective on what he sees. They just played the Phillies this week. All right, more Sports Bash coming up live at the ShopRite LPGA here uh, right outside McGettigan's 19th hole on 97.3 ESPN. Now, Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, it's a uh, happy hour Friday. We're having a great time at the ShopRite LPGA. I haven't gone around and seen the uh, happy hour Friday choices yet, but I'm going to take a walk over to uh, the Gettigan's area and uh, check it out in the next break here. Mike Gill, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. All right, we're uh, at the shop, right? As we have been, I can't remember how many actual years that I have been broadcasting live here, but it's been a lot. I mean, it's probably double digits for me, and uh, I always enjoy it. In fact, I have people text me. They're on their way here. They're going to come hang out. We're going to be here. Uh, I'm actually coming as a patron on Sunday. Uh, I have a prior engagement tomorrow, so I usually come Saturday. Sunday I'll have to do. Uh, Jeremy Freeman is with the... LPGA, and he is uh, kind enough to join me, and always invites me out here. I played in the media day, not very well. Oh, come on! You 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 played no, I'm great. Bad. Didn't you? I'm bad. They people know I'm not good, <laughs> but uh, I like to play. I have a lot of fun, but I love this event, and uh, it's great. And man, this this to me is one of the more crowded Fridays that I've seen in a while. Yeah, it is the. Uh a part of this and for the fans that are coming out so we are we are in the main expo village area i mean it is it is a hopping little area around yeah here, i was gonna say it? this looks like uh it is expanded and there's more going on you got the food trucks now yep uh there, there seems to be uh you know what's funny one year i was here and i bought my car because there was so for anybody who's ever thinking like should i be a vendor at one of these events yeah. i was walking through the village they had the car that I bought on display, and I said, I really That's like the that car. car. That you want. And I ended up buying that car, and here we are. That car was an 11. Okay. And I had the car for 10 years, and I turned it in and bought a new one. So... That's the power of being a vendor in one of these things. Hundred percent. But it seems like there's expanded and so much yep. more going on. Yeah, there there is a lot going on, and it's it's we we position this as this is you know this is the kickoff to the summer, right? And this is you know this is Atlantic City's largest sporting event. So we as as the fans are walking through this Expo Village area, we want them to get. I mean, this we're not even on the golf course yet, right? We want them to get excited before they even step step foot on the grounds to watch the the world's greatest professionals play. So tell us about the weekend. What are some of the things that people who come out 
how they can get out here yep. um, and what they can expect when they get here. Uh, tickets are available on the tournament website at shoprightlpjclassic.com. Uh, of course, if you have a ShopRite Price Plus card, uh, you can go on the tournament website and download two free tickets to uh, to come here this weekend. There's also so there's a variety of ticket options available. There's your there's your daily grounds for uh, for Saturday and Sunday, and then there's your upgraded hospitality, which uh, I think Mike is going to be uh, <laughs> partaking this weekend. I, I will say yes. Now let, let me ask you because if you're just uh, you, you want the two free tickets, I just want to see what's going on. Yep. How do you kind of recommend navigating uh, like a day? Yeah. So it, once you uh, if if you just want to just Watch pure golf, right? So you come out to uh, to see view. The, the great thing about the bay course here is nine. So one tee, ten tee, nine green, and eighteen green are all right here in this, in, in like in this little corner area. So and there's a there's a big fan experience area. There's a concessions area. So this is kind of like the when the fans walk onto the course, they see the first tee, right? And uh, and, and you can kind of get the full experience. For me, being a longtime golf fan, what, what I love to do, I love to see, um, like, look, look at the, look at the pairings. And there's there's kind of there's your featured groups that are going to be playing tomorrow. I love to go start on the first tee and walk four or five holes. Right, and just walk along with. Because I got to be honest, I never make it past that 18th hole yeah. VIP area. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> when uh, I get up there, I, 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 you're, I, you're so, like, I'm good. Well, it, no, but you're right. So you're walking from one and heading, following around, or are you like? I so like what I like to do is so I start on one and one goes towards the water, right? So you go one, two, three, and then you can loop back around. The cool part about following along and watching and watching the the LPGA players is one they. They, they hit all their drives in the middle of the fairway and they hit greens, right? Now, compared, if you go watch the PGA Tour players, they're driving it 365, 370 or something well, like that. Well, I talk about this all the time. So I'm in the 18th green right here, which is to my right, our right here. The cool thing about that location, why I don't leave, is because you, now I think that's a par five. Yes. And you see them taking their second shot. And it's right onto the green every time. It's unbelievable the pinpoint accuracy these ladies have from that. That's usually a shot that someone like me would have to take four shots to get to. They're doing it in two. And they and they play when they're when they're out playing. It's it's their fairways and greens. That's what they do. Now the guys on the PGA Tour, they're they're a lot of grip it and rip it, right? And they'll they'll hit it and hit it in the trees and, and all that stuff. But the ladies out here. The the other part, which is fascinating, when when you know regular golf fans go watch out here, they can kind of compare their swings and their distances to their own, right? On the PGA Tour, you can't really do that. I mean, the PGA Tour players are hitting, they're hitting pitching wedges 160, 170 yards. Yeah. We're not doing that. Right? No, uh, no, we're not. <laughs> uh, so, Brooke Henderson is your defending champion. Yes. Uh, what are some of the highlights of people and stories as we enter uh, this year's tournament? The, the the other cool part about uh, about this is there's this tournament has a history of kicking off a lot of players' careers. Brooke Henderson is an example. She uh, her first professional event was here uh, as a 15 year old. She got a sponsor exemption to play out here. Um, at well, not fifteen, but back in twenty fifteen. Same thing with Paula Creamer. Mm-hmm. Paula Creamer 
uh, got a uh, sponsor exemption to play out here. Uh, her first her first professional debut, Christy Kerr, same thing years ago. Years ago, right? Yeah. So it, it's it it kicks off uh, a lot of players uh, a lot of players' careers. We have got a lot of tremendous players here. We've got uh, fifteen major champions here. Uh, we've got um, we've got several players in the in the top ten, in the top twenty, in the top fifty in the world. We got three players who have uh, who have former world number ones. Um, our sponsor exemptions, similar to what I was talking about with Brooke, we've got one sponsor exemption. Her name is uh, Kiara Noah, so she is making her LPJ Tour debut. She is from Germany. She is 17 years old. Uh, she is already a winner on the Ladies Year. There are a lot of fan favorites that are out here. Oh yeah, um, and there are. You'll there are, see the parade of people following certain golfers yes. around. So that's what I'm talking about. Like yep. if you're somebody who wants to come follow one specific golfer, you will see kind of a big old group following that one particular. But if you're just someone who says, "Hey, I want to see what it's all about. I just want to go watch live golf, like I've seen on TV. Yep. What's it like in person? Just to see how accurate. That's what when I play in the pro am. Yep. The accuracy is what gets me every time. It's like just unbelievable the placement, but you can choose to kind of just mingle off and break off to wherever you want to watch and just kind of see that aspect of it. Right. And that's why I think this event is really cool, which is also, you know, kind of, you know, you mentioned all the, the, the talent that's out here. How, you know, it seems like women's sports at every level, college basketball, the WNBA, the women's softball thing, it seems that right now, Women's sports are really just kind of popping, taking off. It is, yeah, and it's a uh, that, that's that's a big initiative with the LPGA Tour is to is to provide more and greater opportunities for these tremendous athletes and showcase them not only to all of our fans here but in a global television audience. And this it's a hundred percent on display out here this week with uh, with all the great players that are here. And, and we were talking about this a little bit ago about how, you know, how it's just a tremendous, you know, it's, it's a tremendous event for fans, but it's a tremendous event for families, right? This is, we have, as, as players finish, um, we were over there a little earlier, as yeah. players finish, there's a whole autograph alley area. And that's one of the, the really cool things. And it, it happens in, in all of golf, but out here on the LPGA Tour, Players will, I mean, there'll be little kids that will have autograph books and, and, and all that. The players will sit there and they will sign every autograph because they know, because all these players, they were just like that. There were these little girls, yeah. that, you know, uh, l- looking up to the Nancy Lopez's, to the Annika Sorenstams, to the Betsy Kings of the world. And now they are passing it along to the next generation. Well, and you, you talk about it. Like, we're over here. Now, what is this called here? What are you calling this little uh, alley here? Expo Village. Expo Village. All right. So this Expo Village has really come far. I mean, it used yeah. to be a couple little things. Now, you start at the one end. You can walk all the way down. You make a left. I mean, there is just stuff for everybody. Yep. But as I'm sitting here, you're seeing, uh, you talk about... Um, families and stuff but you've seen a lot of young groups of guys coming out here that are out here like hanging out because you can have a good time too i mean there's a lot of stuff you know my buddy's texting me saying what are you doing i'm at the lpga and he's like is there anything to do i said what are you talking about is there anything to do you can hang out here friday do something come here saturday watch 
come here Sunday and do something completely different. Well, and also, and, and, and we're staring right at it. Our friends at uh, at McGettigan's right right across the way here, they have the uh, they they are the Irish pub here. They've got the 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 coolest nineteenth hole in golf, right? Yeah. And, and it's uh, frequent that you may see some players possibly after a round or right? uh, hang out over there, right? Right. right. And they 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 they're a tremendous partner of this tournament too. Out in the uh, in the concession area, so it's the they have a big tent. It's the McGettigan's concessions where they're they're giving out concessions, and then at the in, in the in the parking lot of of the of the pub, you can just see that there's fans that are just enjoying themselves and relaxing and. Having yeah, a pint, when, having when, a burger. Uh, they a couple of years ago they put that uh, the outdoor. Um, yeah, the the, the drones container. Out. Yeah. yeah, the containers. Yeah, yeah, they put the containers and kind of gutted them and, and made it into a bar, and that yep. gave people the ability yep. to kind of hang out outside. So it's a it's a great event, and yep. uh, so the the day has started off uh, nice and early. You're here today, tomorrow, and Sunday. Correct. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to. Uh, I'll tell you what. There's a, there's. Beautiful weather today. Oh yeah. Some days it's hot out here. Right. And, and you know you guys are back in your normal slot after a couple yes. of years of bouncing all over the place. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're back in our normal uh, our normal slot where we essentially, like I said, we kick off the kick off the summer. And this is a uh, for Shoprite and their parent company Wakefern. I mean, this is this is their Super Bowl this week. Um, they had uh, and we were talking about the pro am. Um, that in, in, in media day, this, this tournament also features the world's largest pro-am. We had a two day pro-am over, uh, over three golf courses. And it's just, it's a cool, it's, it's a cool business experience. And it's a great party with that. Right. And, it, and it's, and it's a huge, it's a great, great party. And also what, one of the bigger things that they do, which, which, uh, ShopRite just announced about an hour ago. So they just announced, so, so the, all the ticket proceeds goes to, a bunch of different community organizations here in Atlantic City. Uh, they just announced uh, from uh, from this year's tournament a uh, a 1.5 million dollar donation. Wow! To to the community that gets uh, this tournament in terms of total donations to over the 40 million dollar mark. Awesome! Um, and this is one of the longest run. This is its 35th year, so it is one of the longest running tournaments on the LPGA Tour. And I mean, we're we're looking at it. It is it is going strong. It is. When you walked over here, who was at the top of the leaderboard? Uh, who wasn't the top of the leaderboard? Brooke? No. Oh, I'm asking uh, you. I don't know. I, I was. I, I'm working over here. What are you doing? I, 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 I was. I was sprinting <laughs> over here for the for the interview. Uh, I did see you. I said that to. Uh, uh, Danny over here. I said, you make sure you look for the guy with the red sneakers on. Yeah. 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 That's that's me. I'm, I'm the guy with the red sneakers. Say that again, Josh. Jenny Shin is in the lead. Okay. There you Jenny go. Jenny Shin. All right. Well, we, there, there was there was a lot of there was a lot of folks that were uh, that were four four and five under par. So it'll uh, six, under, so, so right six now. under par. So there, there's a lot of players that are because you have the whole afternoon wave to go. Yeah. So there's a lot of players that are going to kind of jockey up the up the leaderboard, and uh, we'll we'll see how this goes through uh, you know through today, tomorrow, and Sunday, and then we'll uh, we'll crown and champion two hundred sixty-two thousand dollars. Uh, First place, first place check for Sunday. 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 And uh, yep. I will be here for that. Jeremy Freeman, we appreciate uh, you guys having us every single year. And uh, great event. If you're out there listening and saying, what should I do this weekend? I've never been. Check it out. Those of you who come, come every year. Yep. Like me. I've been here every year. And look, you say, well, you're getting free tickets sitting in the VIP. Yeah, but I could say I didn't have a good time. I don't want to come back. You know, and, and I say every year I jockey my schedule around to make sure like Saturday I have something to do. Yep. 
I have a fundraiser that I'm running, which is tomorrow. And I said, I am ticked that I have to do that tomorrow. I, we, normally we do it the next week, yep. Father's Day weekend, but we couldn't get the venue. So I'm at coming Sunday, though. But I'm making sure that I made my Sunday available so that I can get out here because it's that much fun for me. See, and, that, and, that's and I have the- a list of people that are begging me to come with me, though. I have to... Tell them I yeah. can only bring a couple. See, and that and that's that's what we try to do with this tournament. It's the we want everybody, all ages, um, kids to adults to grandparents who come out. We want them to leave this tournament saying that was a great experience. That was a great event. I'm going to definitely come back next year. Well, Jeremy, uh, hopefully we'll be back next year. Uh, you will be back. Good next to see year. you, brother. Thank you. Good Maybe, to see you uh, too. afterwards. We'll see you for a little. Bit. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, we are live at the Shoprite LPGA Classic at Seaview uh, here in Galloway, and uh, they are here Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So stop on out, make a day out of it. Or do you have time to get out here tonight, walk the course, come back tomorrow? Uh, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City will be stopping by in 15 minutes from now. And we'll give you the updates on the leaderboard throughout the day. Don't go away. More Sports Bash coming up on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, we're rocking out on a Friday. It's happy hour Friday. What are you drinking on a Friday? I got, I told you, last week I went with Duva, Where's My Car? That was my beer of choice on the happy hour Friday. And I got to give that uh, those guys a lot of props. That was a fantastic uh, happy hour Friday selection. I enjoyed it greatly. And I appreciate that one. That was uh, Farmers and Bankers. So give me uh, what you got this weekend, 609-403-0973, Got a text from Andrew in Delaware. A potential hardened CP3 trade, what do I think? I talked about this yesterday, but I'll reinforce it today. I am not all that hot on a uh, CP3 trade. I look at adding Chris Paul... As I'm not better, I'm different. That's basically how I see it. I'm not better, I'm different. I got a guy who's older, injury prone, has had trouble winning big games in the playoffs. Not a big scorer. Not a big shooter. If I get Chris Paul, am I better or am I different? I think I'm just different. I don't think I'm any better. So, Andrew in Delaware, thank you for the text. Thank you for the question. I don't think I'm all that excited about a a Chris Paul for James Harden swap. I mean, to me, it just doesn't really check the box of I improved my team. How do I improve this team? (sighs) A big sigh. I don't know. I, I don't know what the perfect guy is. I've seen some floating out there, Zach Levine. Uh, from Chicago. Like, I guess the question with Zach would be this. Is Zach Levine in Bede's version of Joe, uh, of uh, Murray? You've got to find that guy who can play off your star and be a star on the nights that you're not the star or be a star at the same time that you're a star, like Murray right now. There's nights where Murray is triple-doubling and, and, and shooting the lights out. And that cheesesteak was really good, by the way. I mean, it was really good. <laughs> it was outstanding. Um, 
There's nights where Murray is on the same level as Jokic, right? And then there's nights where Jokic concedes to Murray, and then there's nights where Murray's good because of, or excuse me, Jokic is even better because of Murray. Joel Embiid, they need to find him the guy that is their Murray, right? That's the guy they need to find. And how do you manufacture finding a player of that magnitude? That's the difficult part. That's what the process was supposed to get you. It was supposed to get you an Embiid and, uh, you know, a Jokic and a Murray. You got your Jokic, you got Embiid, you got an MVP player, but you never found him the Murray. Can Maxi be that guy? Yeah, that's a fair question. Can Maxi be that guy? Um, yeah, he can. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to rule it out. I mean, because Murray got to this level now. He, pl- he he got to this level incrementally. He right. didn't come out of the draft and was, you know, Murray. He was a good player and was a good player and a good player. But he turned into Murray this year. They both played at Kentucky. They both got much better from when they came into the draft of certain things and they are now, right? So, Yeah, I mean, I, I think Murray coming out of the draft obviously was a higher – what was he, like the seventh pick he in the draft? seventh pick, yeah. Yeah, seventh pick in the draft. Um, Maxi, a little bit more raw, but not a good three-point shooter in college, has turned into a three-point shooter in the NBA. I don't think he's viewed as some sharp shooter, but can he consistently hit that shot – the way can he hit big shots that's the thing with maxi he hits shots throughout the game but is he going to turn into the guy that's the assassin that he's going to hit that shot that dagger when Embiid's getting doubled or tripled that's where Jokic is doubled or tripled and he finds murray and murray buries you the sixers don't have the guy that hits that dagger in that big moment you know too many times for them it their dagger is joel Embiid hitting an elbow jumper they got to find a guy to hit that dagger with a three as the clock's winding down, and it just devastates the other team. We'll talk about more Sixers, Phils, and more with Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City for our Happy Hour Friday. Coming up next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. It's a true happy hour Friday. We are live at the ShopRite LPGA right outside Begetigan's 19th hole, which is the tour stop of the LPGA. The first hole and the 18th hole are to our right. We are in the Expo Alley. Mike Gill, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City is here on a happy hour Friday. Now, Mike, you get you in person on Happy Hour Friday <laughs> yeah, this week. Yeah, once a year here at uh, ShopRite, it seems Yeah, this like. has become like our annual, like, we just kind of, like, start rifting on all the different right. things. People love hearing this, uh, this uh, you know, LPGA segment with, uh, with, with you and me. And, you know, so Happy Hour Friday. Last week, I was out at the Rancho. We missed you last Friday. <laughs> so I was at this event out in uh, Pittsgrove. Right. Salem County. And the people out there couldn't have been nicer. There's a, a brewery out there called Farmers and Bankers. So they listened to the show, right? They liked the Happy Hour Friday, and they saw my beer reviews. So they brought me all these beers. Beers called Duva, Where's My Car? And I got to tell you, it was fantastic. 
I saw you on Twitter, like uh, saying, uh, offering some guy some help with his summer beer selection. Basically, yeah, yeah. You know? you just, the, the summer beer selection was low. It was, I, I like to keep things simple. You know, <laughs> you go in Miller Light, yeah, Coors Light, Coors yeah. Light. All right. <laughs> now I got to say this. Uh, all right, this accelerator. It it, it, it is what s a shock accelerator, right? So the young lady, a shock accelerator. She brought me this peach paradise. I, and I'm a huge Snapple peach guy. <laughs> this is the best peach drink I think I've ever had. Well, there you go. I'm not That's joking. A endorsement. <laughs> I, I am not joking. It is unbelievable. She brought me another one, and she's got me this cooler with the with the. If I bring another cooler home, though, my girlfriend might kill right, me. Right. Exactly. Well, you look at this Expo Alley where you are. There's nothing but uh, you know. There's energy drinks, ice cream, sandwiches. You know, food trucks all around. Well, Cusimano, just, just not the golf this week. Over at McGettigan's there, they brought us a cheese steak, yeah. tenders. I mean, I I'm surrounded by ketchup packages here <laughs> <laughs> and empty plates. Uh, uh, all right, Mike. Were Looked you like uh, some blue cheese? Also, were you at the ballpark last night? Yes, I was. All right, yes, I so. Was. You got a no-no going. Right. You ever cover a no-no? Yeah, I've seen two of the three uh, postseason no-hitters. Uh, Roy Holiday. I was at the uh, Holiday one. And I was at the Astros combined one oh. uh, against the Phillies. Those are the only two I've seen, but they've been two of the three of uh, of postseason history. So last wow. night, the game, it's one nothing, and he's got a no-no going. What's the feeling in the ballpark? Well, I thought that, you know, strangely enough, I thought the crowd was a little subdued because it was just happening so fast, right? The game started at 6 o'clock. First of all, I think the fact that the game had been postponed today because of the Canadian smoke might have held the crowd down a little bit. And all of a sudden, everybody kind of woke up in the seventh inning and saw, and saw that he had a no-hitter. But it was almost like it was happening so fast. And plus, the Phillies weren't exactly lighting it up either. Right. I think they had two to three hits at that point. So... Uh, after he goes through the seventh inning, I think then people were like, oh, oh, he, you know, here we go. And then he comes out for the eighth. And there's the play in the eighth where Harrison makes the great play, and then they give him the throwing error. Now, I don't know. It could have been an error on uh, Clemens. Clemens. You know, maybe Clemens should have come up with it. Or, you know, if, if we're in Detroit, it's probably a hit, you know, in all, <laughs> in all honesty. Uh, but then Tyler. Well, it's funny you say that, though, real quick, is because. So I was out last night. I was watching a ball game, and we were watching the game on, like, the app on our phone. Right. And I have YouTube TV, not even thinking, like, to turn a video on. Yeah. And we're refreshing. And the guy says, you know, it's like the sixth inning. And he says, they don't have a hit yet. Right, And right. it just kind of had this weird feel, like, wait, they don't have a hit? Yeah. And the game's, like, one nothing. Right, right. It just kind of snuck up on people about it. Then Tyler Nevin breaks up the, the no-hitter. And then, as is always the case, it seems like, you know, he leaves the game, and they blow first the no hitters gone, then the shutout, and yes. and then the lead. And and to me, uh, and, and several of Phillies backed it up. Cody Clements last night, and 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 Bryce Harper. You can't lose that game when your pitcher goes out there and throws seven and one third innings of no hit baseball. You've got to win the ball game. Agree. You know? Now the, the and and but this was my point earlier. Is see if you agree or not. That's a game that a bad team loses. Like, you have a no-hitter, and then you lose the – not only do you lose the no-hitter, right, you lose the lead. Well, I'll give you an example. That's a game – the Mets, the way they're playing right now, and I'm sure this will make uh, everybody who uh, likes to uh, tease me about the Mets happy. That's a game the Mets lose, the way they're playing right now. Right. Okay? The Phillies ha- coming back and win that game, it's a positive sign. Keeps the momentum going. Good teams find a way to win that game. Bad teams find a way to lose. Right, and that was kind of my takeaway is 
as much as this team has played poorly and they've had so many different things not go their way, some injuries here and this go there and they haven't hit and Turner's been a, a, a bust and the pitching hasn't come around, in the end they had a game where they won a game where a bad team loses and a good team, you know, we keep asking, are they ready to turn the corner? I, you know, sometimes you, you win nine in a row, sometimes you win five in a row, sometimes you lose three out of four. But it felt like a good team wins that game and a bad team loses. Yeah, they've got to they've got to start, you know, playing better and winning games. Now, I, I mean, I know everybody likes to say, and it is true, the last three true National League champions taking the twenty twenty year out of it. So yeah, twenty nineteen National Washington, they were struggling in June. They were nineteen and thirty one. Right. The, the Braves in 21 were, were struggling in June. Even last year, the Braves were 23 and 27 at one point before they went on to win 100 games. The Phillies last year, we all know about. But what they all have in common is they started winning about this time of year. You know, they eventually got it in gear. Well, we were, and so the right Phillies now, have to start doing that now. Right basically. now, this time last year, the Phillies were in the midst of a nine-game win streak. Right. And now they're in a five-game win streak. Yeah. You know, um, and it's funny because I look at it this way. Two things. One. People who say, like, ah, this team's not any good, they stink. If I say, well, they're two and a half out of the wild card, their answer is, well, it's too early. Right. Well, then it's too early for them to stink. <laughs> right. Right? You can't have it both ways. If they're only two and a half out, they're in this thing. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, they can't stink if they're only two. Now, you could say they're not playing good baseball, and I think that's fair, that they haven't played good. But there's so many reasons why they haven't played good that need to be answered of can that change and and that's where i think we're at now they, they've gotten to the point where okay we haven't played good baseball but we're still hanging around we're two and a half out we're two games under 500 can things start to change turner schwarber harper's back right. suarez is now in the rotation right. uh nola wheeler walker are these things now you had four straight games this week mike where the pitcher has gone into right. the seven with a no hitter yeah I, I mean, not no hitters uh, not every night well, Nola did, and Nola did, yeah. And I think Walker went not into the seven, but Wal- I think Walker went four or five innings without a he hit, did, and yes. Wheeler went seven innings last night. And Suarez so, went into the seven, so they had four right. straight starts where the pitcher got into the seventh inning. Right, right. So uh, to me, again, and I think I said this the other day, and, and wrote this today. To me, they've got to be at five hundred at the end of June, and to do that, they've got to be. Uh, I think they got 29, 20 games left in June. They got to be eleven and nine. If they're five hundred at the end of June. They're in position to make a run over the second half of the season. If they're three or four games under 500 in June, then they're going to have a problem because you're going to have to scramble back to get to back to 500, and that's going to take you a month, and then you're up against it. So get to 500 at the end of June. To do that, they've got to go 11-9. and nine. I know some people will say, well, 11-9, and nine, that doesn't sound too good, but Add on the five games that they've won right now. That means they go sixteen and nine the rest of June. That's pretty impressive. And the schedule's not easy. We're going to find out. Three yeah. games with the Dodgers, out west to play Arizona, who's an improved baseball team. Then three with the A's. Yes, they're the worst team maybe in the history of baseball. But then you come back to Citizens Bank Park for the Braves and Mets. So it's not going to be easy. But this is the time of the year when they've got to start. You know, and I'm not saying they've got to rip off ten or eleven in a row, but they've got to start playing. You know. Uh, have four and three weeks, five and two weeks, weeks like that. They've got to they've got to start winning more than they lose. Yeah. By the way, the A's just beat the Braves twice this right, week. And right. by the way, we're laughing because and, and I want it's something I want to get into you with because you know we're talking about the wild. It's so early to look at the wild card. Yeah. But Pittsburgh, Arizona, Miami. They're three of the teams that are currently right. in the wild card. And my big thing has been Philly last year made their run in June. 
They had the one big month. The rest of the year, they were about 500 yeah. the rest of the month. So you just have to have that one stretch to kind of get you there. Right. And the question with Pittsburgh, Arizona, Miami, are they going to be able to get through the dog days of summer yeah. at this pace? I, I, I don't think all three of those teams are. One of them might. I think that one might be Arizona. they got good pitching. Right. And, and they've got a lot of good young players. Uh, but Pittsburgh started, what, 20 and 8, and now, you know, they're scuffling. Miami, you know, I've got to see it before I, you know, I've got to see it to believe it. Alcantara has not had a great season. They've got some guys having great years. We'll see if it holds up. So I think it's possible that one of those teams is going to be there for the long haul, but not all three. And I think you make a great point. The National League is, it seems like everybody in the National League is underachieving. The Mets are underachieving. The Padres are underachieving. Uh, the Phillies are underachieving. Uh, the Dodgers haven't played great, you know. Uh, even the Braves are, you know, scuffling a little bit. Seems like the National League is filled with teams that are underachieving. And the nature of the wild card is you're going to look up, even if the Phillies continue to scuffle along, they're going to get to the middle of September and be two and a half games out of the final wild card spot. Well, that's you know? the thing, is I think the mentality of the fan is, you know, hey, you have to be this great team to make the playoffs because that's what it was. You had to win your division. Now that these wild cards, yeah, you can just be an average team for most of the year and just really have one good run uh, to get yourself in. By the way, the lineup's out for tonight. Really? Yeah, you got uh, Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper, Turner, Real Muto, Stott, Marsh, Cody Clemens, and Sosa. They're going to get right. Bohm back, it looks like, tomorrow. Yeah, Bohm's supposed to but come back here's tomorrow. Here's a question we've been throwing around the last couple of days. I want to get your thoughts on. Turner's hitting in the four hole. Right. So if he eventually starts to hit, and you're hoping that he does, <laughs> once he does start to hit, do you move him? Did you intend to have him hit four or yeah, I think once he gets hot, do you then not want to touch him? Nah, or once if, he gets hot, do you want to say, let's put him back to where if we... He, if he gets hot, I would slide him back up towards the number two spot in the order, especially if you get Bohm back, you put drop Castellanos down a little bit. Uh, yeah, if Turner gets hot, he's built to hit first or second in the order. He's not a cleanup hitter. He's not a five or six guy. When he's at his best, he's a leadoff guy or a number two guy. So if he does eventually straighten it out... Uh, yeah, I slide him back up to the number two. I spot also think order. on this team, Mike, the nature of the way the lineup is built with all the lefties, two has to be the spot because Harper is a lefty and he right. has three. And you want to break up, you know, Schwaber and, and, and Harper, of course. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So Schwaber at the top of the lineup, are you at the point where, okay, that's what it is? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't see any other better options. And, and again, I know it kind of frustrates. Old, old time baseball fans about, you know, take advantage of his power, this and that. But, you know, I mean, he, he seems to like it there. He, that seems to be where he is the most productive. And, and it's not like they have Ricky Henderson. You know, Bryson Stott was okay. Well, Turner has hit leadoff in his career more times right, than anywhere else. Right, but he's having, you know, he, you know, he was really scuffling along. So I'm sure if, uh, you know, Turner was tr the Trey Turner of last year or the year before. Yeah. yeah, that would be an option, but he's not that guy right now. So the way it is now, uh, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't have, I don't have an issue with it. I don't get caught up in it too much because, you know, once, you know, one, one time through, you don't know when, 
you know how guys are coming up basically you uh, know all right uh some fills uh they're playing tonight against the dodgers three at citizens bank park uh, tomorrow by the way we'll have the phillies and dodgers on 97.3 espn uh tonight who's pitching tonight it is Ranger suarez, suarez right yeah, suarez yeah. tonight uh, for the Phils. Now, they got swept by the Dodgers the last time they played, and that was the game they were up 5 nothing, and Muncie hit the grand slam yeah. walk-off against them. Uh, so, see if they can... Uh... I, I think tonight's game's an interesting game. Suarez has pitched well his last two, I think his last two, maybe three times out. You've got the momentum of winning five in a row. I'd like to see the Phillies go out there and grab tonight. Kind of takes the pressure off the rest of the, you know, you've got two games to try to win the series rather than just, you know, have to beat the Dodgers back to back. I think tonight's uh, a key game. Well, we were talking about this earlier, and I guess here's the question that Josh posed to me, which was, does this team need to aggressively go get like a number five starter, or would you rather see them get a guy for more of the – top part of the rotation and bounce the guys you have down. Well, I'll tell you that, uh, what Bryce Harper said last night in the clubhouse. Someone asked him about the pitching, like you mentioned, how well the four guys had pitched. Yep. And and almost the first words out of his mouth were, well, we still need that number five guy. So I don't know. That's a message to Dave Dombrowski there. The, the bottom line is I don't think you're going to get a top-of-the-line starter uh, you know, at the trade deadline. I don't know how many of those guys are going to be available, but I think you are going to have to try to find a guy, uh, you know, a Kyle Gibson-like guy, maybe a little better, that can fill that five spot if the other four guys are pitching well. Well, and that's the thing. Everything, I think, when you look at this team, has to be big picture oriented. And if you're in a playoff series, you got Wheeler, Nola. Do you feel comfortable with Walker being that third guy. Yeah, I mean, I might even say that Suarez might be that third guy. So, I mean, yeah, I would feel comfortable with Suarez at three or Walker at three for that combination. I, I do feel comfortable. That worked – it worked last year for you. That same exact uh, situation worked last year. So it has a history of success. Well, so. last year, you know, they were using Suarez. And I think this is what ended up catching up to them is Suarez had a pitch in the bullpen. Then he right. had a start a game. Right. And then you ended up just kind of running out of gas in your bullpen. Now – they have gone out and gotten uh, Strom right. and Soto. These are left-handers now that you can turn to in the bullpen where you shouldn't need Suarez yeah. to pitch in that right. role. Exactly. So, yeah, and I don't know if you're going to find a number one or number two guy available. It, it, it's funny. I heard coming down, I mean, one of the guys that you'd speculate is if the Phillies fall out of the race, which I don't think they're going to do, they have one of those top-line pitchers in Aaron Nola yeah. who is going to start coming up well, if the Phillies fall the opposite way. What do you think you that's going to look like? That I mean, he's not having a great year. Now he could get catch fire here. But if you're Nola right now and you're pitching for a contract, you're not giving the Phillies much of a reason to yeah, want to go jumping but, after you. But, you know, my guess is that Aaron Nola, regardless, as long as he stays healthy this year and throws his 200 innings, uh, with his past history, what, five years, 30 million a year at least? You know, I mean. Yeah, well, the, what did Walker get? He got, he got four for 73, and yeah. he's no Aaron Nola. So I, you know, uh, Aaron Nola is going to be in the 150 to 200 million dollar range, no matter what the Phillies think. How much? Or what the Phillies fans think about him. Now, you're up there a lot. Right. How much stock do you put into? You were there last year during the World Series run. Yeah. The energy in that building. While the, I got to give the, the fans credit, the building has been right. much more filled. But I'm talking about the players. 
You're playing in October baseball games. The energy and the electricity of that atmosphere. And we talk about, like, World Series hangovers, Super Bowl hangovers. To go into play April, May, June baseball games, do you sense that a little bit? I, I don't sense a World Series hangover. They just haven't played well. I mean, like you said, the crowds have been great up there. They've been enthusiastic. I mean, if you want to start play, talking about playing in front of fans that have a lot of enthusiasm, that's what's happening up there on a nightly basis. So it's not like they could say, okay, we played in the World Series last year and everybody was going crazy. And now in this April game, there's 5,000 people in the park and, and it's a great day in April and it's 30 degrees out. I don't know what to do here, but that's not the case. I mean, it's been packed. Uh, up I'm surprised. There every you know every game. I mean, it's almost back to what it was in the, in the heyday of 2008 <laughs> to 2000, which just goes to prove my point, Mike. And I think it's a grand media conspiracy. Philadelphia likes baseball. Philadelphia likes winning baseball, maybe. But they'll come out if you have a good team, and it, they are not just concerned about who's going to be the Eagles' left tackle in uh, in June, or or you know how many passes did Jalen Hurts complete at today's OTN? Yeah, it, it is it, it is weird because they never bought into those Kapler teams that were constantly in the race. Right, they were like in the wild card race. They were a game out in September, and nobody. Well, cared. they didn't. If you look, they didn't buy into last year's team. No, you're until right. you got to the playoffs, they're in a situation, and I think the Sixers are about to find out this situation. They were in the show me situation, basically. If you get there, you get to the playoffs. We will come, you know. We will put our faith back in you, but you're going to have to show us before it happens again. We're not putting our blind faith in in this team anymore. And to their credit, the Phillies, you know, make that postseason run, and the crowds have been tremendous. I'm, I'm thinking last night that, you know, in the seventh, eighth inning, and in the ninth inning when they came back, it was loud. It was loud. And that's there, on a night you know? where you move the game. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. You, you got to run. No, I'm good. You want to hang out? Uh, one we more segment. Get, all right, one more, one more segment. segment, because I do have something I want to get into. You. All, right. all right. We'll take a break here, and uh, we'll break early, and then we'll bring Mike back, because I want to get some thoughts on the Sixers. You mentioned them and where they are and <laughs> <laughs> what could be happening uh, this offseason. And uh, it seems that annually we're talking about the putting the pieces back together. Right, this here. Spot, right it's here. always a big process to be So we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it coming up with Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. That's next right here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, happy hour Friday, everybody. Now, for this week's happy hour Friday, text us what are you having this weekend. I need a good recommendation from you guys this weekend. All right, because I got a weekend where I'm looking for a little fun, a little something-something, and we're going to be giving away to uh, my favorite recommendation of the weekend, tickets to go see Tracy Morgan. So just include in the text message... Happy hour Friday. Give me a good recommendation. All right? That's all I need is my recommendation for the week. You guys have given me so many good recommendations, and I do it for you. So, come on. Give back. Give back. (laughs) All right, Mike, 10 years ago, the process was born. Right. Here we are 10 years now. 10 years. You know, there's some people that thought they lost for 10 years in a row. No, they lost for four or five. About three and a half. Two and a half. Right. So, Ten years later, here we are. Where the heck is this team now? Well, 
stuck in limbo, but still one of the top five or six teams in, in the NBA. Uh, and basically, again, to me, they, they have a, a, a roster issue, not a coaching issue. It's a roster issue. And, and to me, their one fatal flaw has been an inability to score in the fourth quarter or overtime of big playoff games. Uh, I th- I don't think Embiid can do it, and that's not a knock on Embiid. I think it's more of the type of player he is. He's not Jokic. He's not a Giannis. I think it has to be a more of a perimeter-oriented player who can break down the defense to create a shot for himself and his teammates. Ben Simmons couldn't do it. Nope. I mean, I think Jimmy Butler could do it, and in the one series, they did lose on a great shot by Kawhi Lennon, who's another player who can do it, and they went on and won an NBA championship. So Simmons couldn't do it. Butler, I think, could do it, but they sent him out of here. Uh, you know, I don't think Tyrese Maxey's ready to do it or maybe might never be ready to do it. James Harden can do it in games one, two, three, four, and five, but he can't do it in games six and seven. So to me, it's a roster issue of getting that player who can, you know, uh, sometimes, Mike, in the last three minutes of a big playoff game, you just got to throw the ball to a player, and that player's got to create. And to me, they've never had that player, and that's why they lose these playoff series. Um, would you say that a uh, – there's so many people talking about a Harden for Chris Paul. I, I look at it as – I don't know that I'm better. I just I'm probably different. Yeah, you're, you're different, and you're the same because Chris Paul can't do it. You know, Devin Booker does it. Kevin Durant can do it, but Chris Paul can't do it. So, yeah, you're different, and you have Chris Paul came in here, but that doesn't solve the problem of yeah. who is scoring in the la- – you know, look, Boston beat the Sixers because Tatum pulled himself together for the last three minutes of game six – and then got 50 in Game 7. Well, who do the Sixers have on their roster that can do that performance? That has been the biggest issue. That's it, issue. And it, James Harden can do it in Games 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. But for whatever the reason is, in the history of his playoff career, he can't do it in Game 6 and Game 7. So so does that say to you then, because they're stuck in limbo and, and they have the situation, as you said, limbo's the word, I think it's a good one, and they're stuck in a situation where, you know, if Harden opts out, you, so are you better with him or without him? Are you yeah, taking I, a step back without him? I think you're taking a step back without him. I think that's a, a drive six but you, fans But you're crazy. saying that in the same breath, you're saying you know that he's not the guy that you right, need. Right, but I'm not sure you can get to that game six or seven without him. Basically, so I mean, I think you take a step back with them. Then you don't. Then you're not in those games, and you don't have that player either. So to me, you've got to figure out a way to get that player in here. And and who that player is, I I don't know. But winning teams have that player. Miami has Jimmy Butler. Denver has Jokic and Jamal Murray can do the it. The Miami you thing know? is such a anomaly where. Did you know they they had they were statistically speaking the worst offense in basketball. Right. They, they shot were the ball the worst. shot the ball terribly in the regular season. They were the fourth lowest shooting three point percentage right. in I the But I will NBA. say about them though is it is but when you, it's not as crazy as you think when you consider they were a shot away from the from the NBA final last year. They were also and, and they three, went to the with final. With 3 minutes left in the game against right. the Bulls right. they were they losing. Were the, I, granted, but they were <laughs> To me, they're not an ordinary number eight seed because if you look at a lot of the players out there, they have had playoff success the last, 
you know, two of the last three years. They went to the final in the bubble. They were a, fi- a East. I guess my my season, my, you know. my question with uh, I mean you're 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 right they they were in the finals uh, shot away from the finals last year is that the team you want to try to emulate on how to build your team I, I don't know if you can emulate that because the mo- that model is so tough is undrafted free agents finding right. right free agents and look I'm a big Pat Riley guy I think it all flows from him at the top of the organization. You know, he's, he completely backs Spolstra, who's developed into maybe the best coach in the NBA. They have an organization. I know they, people joke heat culture, but there is heat culture that flows from the top. And, and I don't, not sure if he can pull off with the, what the heat does if you don't have Pat Riley and an Eric Spolster there, basically also. You look at the heat culture and whatever it is, it's a thing for them in that people go there and it's either you buy into the coach or you're gone. Right. Do the Sixers have a culture problem? Uh, you, you know, the, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if they have a culture pro- problem from the fact that they have a bad culture, but they they have a, a lack of success problem, maybe that's it. They haven't, they haven't yet gotten over the hump, and because of that, there's doubts everywhere about them, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, culture is... is is weird, but they have a lack of success. Well, there's some problem. people that look back at the process. I, I don't. I don't buy that. That you lost all those years, and so now, right. now in 2023, you can't win because you lost in 2013. I, I, I don't buy that. Well, they, I guess the thought that you know, Embiid had a mindset of losing when he got into the league, uh, uh, and therefore he doesn't have that winning mindset look, now. I think he wants to win, but again, I look at it, and to me, he just can't. They're asking him to do stuff that he can't do in the closing minutes of, of big playoff games. Now, uh, well, know, that's the thing. I, like you look at Jokic, but that doesn't Murray. mean he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to win. I mean, yeah. he just can't. Do, uh, he wants to win. Like I want to run a four minute mile. I, I just can't do it. It doesn't mean I have a culture problem. You know, basically. You well, know? you like you look at Jokic and Murray. Right. They complement each other. The problem for Embiid is he hasn't found the complement that works the best with him, with his skill right. set. He, he can't score in the, or initiate the offense in those final three minutes of a game six or game seven. But like the night, the, the game that they actually, uh, they, the, the game they lost, Denver, that last, you know, Jokic gets the offensive rebound. They triple team him and he throws the pass out to Murray. Murray buries that three. Right. The problem for Embiid is he could get the offensive board, get triple teams, throw it out to somebody. He doesn't have that guy that hits that dagger for him. Yeah. Them. And, and Jokic, I mean, I, I don't want to get into the Jokic and Embiid thing, but Jokic does, 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 does so many more things. I mean, Jokic dribbles the ball up court on 50% of the possessions. I mean, Embiid is just not going to do that. Jokic is a much better but, passer. This is the way I kind of look at it. Now, I, Embiid is a better defender. And to me, in those closing minutes of game six or a game seven, Embiid should become more of a defensive force and a rebounding force in those closing minutes of games yeah. rather than we're going to throw the ball through Embiid and, and initiate the offense. It just hasn't worked. Well, and you're hoping that Nurse maybe be, makes him become that. But I don't see. I don't buy that either only because everybody says, is Embiid going to go to the next? Embiid's 30 years old. I don't see him. Like going to the next level. Oh, I disagree if, with you if, on that a little if, bit. If though. anything, Embiid's going to start going down the mountain soon. Yeah, but you got to keep in mind he is still so raw into the game. Uh, he's thirty years old physically. I mean, physically I, he's I, at I, a peak. Yeah, but I mean, 
I still think there's more tools in the, in the toolbox for him. I don't. I don't see it. To me, again. But I would look at it like this. You talk about Jokic, okay? Everybody says Jokic is better than Bede. I said it's not who's better. You could win a championship with Akeem Olajuwon. You could also win a championship with Tim Duncan. You could win a championship yeah. with like so. If Shaquille O'Neal is is Embiid, a physical freak, and Jokic is Duncan, you can win a championship with both style of player. Right. The difference is. Shaq had Kobe, you know, and, and Jokic right now has a Murray who has emerged into, I always liked Murray, but he has, yeah, he has worked himself up the ladder to this player. He wasn't always, but Denver has been patient with this group. Philly has not been patient with well, their Well, they've groups. been, they've been patient. Philly has been patient with Embiid, certainly. But and, nobody else. Well, with Tobias Harris. They've and, changed the know. deck. Well, they changed the deck on Embiid. How many different rosters have they had for him? Well, I, I mean, they better change it again because this current <laughs> roster is not winning. Look, I like Embiid. Obviously, Embiid deserved the MVP. He's one of the great players in, in the NBA. But as they are presently constituted. Now, yeah, if you took Jamal Murray off Denver and you put him on the Sixers, could the Sixers win an NBA championship? Absolutely. Right. It, 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 you're exactly right in the fact that Embiid hasn't had that player to help him get over the top. But Embiid... To me, the Sixers haven't recognized that that's the issue, that Embiid is not the answer to that question. And the other guys they've tried to get to answer that question, Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, Jimmy Butler, uh, James Harden, haven't been the answer either. And that's why you haven't gotten out of the second round. Yeah. um, You know, and so when you're watching these finals, as we always do, you watch and say, how far away is my team from the two teams that are on TV right now? Minuscule, right, right. If I the mean, Sixers are in this finals right now, it's probably two-one. Right. I mean, to me, look, you've got Denver. You want to throw Miami in there. You want to throw Boston in there. You want to throw Milwaukee in there. You want to throw the Sixers in there. Those are the five. The Boston's going to look a lot different. Right, but not I'm just, Boston, Milwaukee. I'm just saying, I'm judging the teams as they are this year, gotcha. not what they look like next year. If you want to tell me, you do power ranking of the teams. Okay, Denver, obviously. Uh, Miami late playoff run, Milwaukee, Boston, Sixers right there. I mean, you know, uh, those are, and then after that, maybe uh, behind the Sixers, Phoenix. I mean, that's what I do, the five, six teams right there. So, look, the, they lost in seven games to uh, Boston, and then what if Boston and Miami went seven? So, the Sixers are right there, but they need that player to get them over the hump, and, and you know, to get that player, yeah. you know, I don't know what the answer is at, at that point. Well, you know? so that said, if, if if 10 years after you made a, this radical decision and 10 years down the road, you haven't won a championship, but for six of the years, you have been a team that has constantly been mentioned. Right. Did they go down the right road? Yeah, I mean, they did. My whole problem with the process. They made a ton of mistakes. Well, yeah, was they made a ton of mistakes. And it was just the attitude of a lot of the fans who, who acted like the Sixers had invented this and patented this when it actually had been done yeah. several times in the past. Well, and there was nothing. Now, the Sixers did take it to uh, extremes, basically. Some you, of the, the extremes were manufactured. Well, by Embiid being out for two years. Right. By, but there's by also, Sarich. like, no reason to win 10 games in a year. You could have won 21 games in a year. Okay, that extreme you're that's talking about. The I'm fact that they could. But, right. like, you know, um, 
the 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 concept of them losing purposely, you know, you're right, was not right. something. But um, I think the big thing that really made it something, where you've got one side of the coin that thinks it was a total waste and it didn't work, and you have the other side of the coin that says, I, you know, I would do it again. Someone like me, I, I'd I'd go through that again to try to get. A player or two or three that would constantly, you know, the, the thing I think. But the, real quick, the thing that I think made it this is that other teams have lost. The Houston Astros lost a hundred games right. for three years in a row. They didn't brand it. This to me right. was that, a business decision for Josh Harris to get life back into a yeah, fan base that I, just I, didn't care. I mean, as a credit, maybe to the Sixers. They branded the losing streak and and actually put a name on it when most teams just would have done it yes. and, and, and gone forward. Yes. That, in a way, is what drove me crazy is that the fans thought they had invented this process when a lot of other teams had done it. Well, their slogan the one year was, together we build. Right. In other words, we're going to stink, but you come on right. board with us and we'll, we'll build this. The other, the other thing that drove me crazy during it was fans and people with the Sixers insisted that this was the only way to build no, an NBA yeah. winner. That the, Another path was just a complete waste of time and didn't work. This was the only method you did that. And, and the proof of that isn't true is the Miami Heat. Or Denver. Right, I right. Mean, Denver ends up getting Jokic in the second round of right, the same draft right. and of that's, that's my other issue with, with the Sixers. Oh, I would agree with that. It was more of that, and it was more also the, the – uh, just the players they picked and the fact that, like you mentioned, Denver got Jokic in the second round. For me, the Sixers' biggest missed opportunity was not only Simmons and Fultz and, and Noel and Sarich and guys they drafted that didn't really pan out, but it was they didn't get that guy in the second round. With all those second-round picks, they didn't get a Draymond Green. They didn't get a Jokic. They didn't get, like, uncover a diamond in Paul the Reed. rough. Right. Paul Reed. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't uncover that diamond in the they rough. They had Charles Bassey. You know? Yeah. That's their own You're fault. a Charles Bassey guy, you know. <laughs> but that, to me, was it. Look, I, I think it's almost your you're three, you're, uh, uh, three regimes and a couple of coaches away from the process. It got you in bead. Which you know means you have a chance, you know, going going forward, uh, you know. So whether it was, was it a success or not, you know, who knows? But it definitely changed the way that the the uh, you know the way the franchise unfolded for the better. Now, were there other ways to win? How did they execute Absolutely. it? You yeah, know, the, the, that, that's the problem. The for the know? better part, I say, listen, anybody who says this was not worth it, blah blah blah, I said you just proved my point that it was worth it because. If it wasn't worth it, you wouldn't take time in your day to reach out to me to yeah. tell me it wasn't worth it. That tells me it was worth it because Although, you you wouldn't care about you didn't care about from from O two to twenty thirteen, nobody cared about this team. Right. And from thirteen to now you either care so much that on Tuesday night when they lose, it pisses you off. Right. Or you go out of your way to tell or, somebody. But I think it'll be interesting to see what they're like next year because I think we might be going well, back that's to why, the 0-2 to 12 Well, that's what era, I was going to ask you. So we're 10 you know? years in, and here we are. We're in limbo. They got Embiid. Are we, that building sells out every night. We'll see next year. And, and, right. Is that is, Are they finally going to hit that point? Where the well's going to run dry of that place being filled, and I mean they're on TV, national TV all the time. They are they're tops in everything, jersey sales, merchandise, yada yada. The building's filled. Are we are we at the point where that team is no longer going to be 
a rite of passage that it's a sellout every night? I, I think you are. You think so? I think you are if you bring back the same roster. I don't think changing the coach is enough. I think if you were to bring somebody else in, make a big trade, change things, I think then you've got new life. But I think as the team is presently constituted, I think uh, I think you have two issues. One, I think you have the Sixers issue. And the other, and I never thought I would say this because I'm a huge NBA guy and I love the NBA regular season. I got league pass, watch the games, you know, late at night, stuff like that. But to me, the NBA's got a regular season issue as an entire league with guys missing games. And now you look at the playoffs, the number eight seed uh, is in the final, basically. Which never happened in that right, league. Right, right. That league was right. a league of, favorites. if you weren't the one or the two, right. you had no shot. Right, and you just watch the games. It's almost like watching a different sport, playoff basketball, as opposed to a regular season game. So I think you're up against two things. I think you're up against that, and I also think you're up against just the overall NBA. Like, hey, what does this regular season mean? Yeah, all sports. You know, basically. The baseball's going through yeah. the problem. I mean, hockey, obviously, which isn't as right. high on the ledger. But you're yeah. right. The basketball used to be a chalk league, right. and now eight's in the finals. You're seeing teams. I mean, LeBron's Cavs a couple of years ago, they, they kind of slept walk through there to the fourth seed. Right. They were horrible defensively that year, and they ended up going to the NBA finals. So, yeah, the, the regular season. But you're right. How That's one thing I'm interested in, to see if that building – because there were so many people at that time that said, you know, you're turning your back on your the fans. They're never going to come yeah. back. Not only did they come back, they sold out every right, single right. night. Uh, yeah, I just think, again, yeah, I just think the problem is people kind of kept them at an arm's length this year a little bit. Uh, and said, wake me up when you get to the second round of the playoffs. And I think, it's gonna be, I think it's going to be the same thing, if not more so, next year, basically. And I think, you know... You could be looking at a season where, and this is just me, where, you know, how much does Embiid play in the regular season next year? You know, I mean, does he? Maybe he plays fifty games, fifty-five games, maybe. Are you, you in know? on this uh, in-season tourney? Are you a soccer guy? I, don't, <laughs> I just don't understand how they think that this is. What, gonna am I, catch what are we going to throw a parade if they win a in-season tourney? Right. I mean, what, well, what, the what silvers out there saying like, well, like in European soccer, they yeah, do this. Well, please, are they playing these games at the Boardwalk Basketball Classic? You know, <laughs> we're going to have the Porky Carlson uh, <laughs> Memorial Bracket down there at Wildwood. Is that what we're coming about now at the? NBA, you know, the, the John Pirantazzi uh, Memorial Tournament at, uh, in the NBA, basically. They'll play tip-off weekend. The Seagull uh, will have right, it, right? The Seagull will have it. Johnny yeah. There'll be a hospitality room, at least. You know, we'll bring your peach drink oh, there. Man. <laughs> uh, so, uh, tomorrow, where are you heading? Uh, we'll be headed uh, up to uh, main, mainland, up to Veterans Park, Mercer County. I'll be up there mainland trying to win a state title uh, baseball title, first one since 2014, playing Morris Knowles, and then we'll also have coverage of Buna Regional uh, playing for the Group 1 title. And it's funny, those two schools won state titles in 2014, and now they're back in 2023 trying to win state titles against state baseball titles. The mainland, really remarkable story. 9-13 and 13 when the playoffs began. Now they're 14-13 and 13 and playing for a state title. All right, uh, you can read about that in the Press of Atlantic City, pressofac.com. Mike McGarry is here. And uh, all right, man, you can go back and watch the golf. All right, back to the, back to the Good course. Conversation. <laughs> all right, Good conversation. Good conversation as always. Mike McGarry. From the press of Atlantic City. Yes, he'll be back here next year. Hopefully, we're all here next year. Uh, LPGA ShopRite is where we are at the uh, first hole to our right. Straight ahead, we are at McGettigan's 19th hole. And you can stop on out all weekend long. 
Uh, coming up at four, we've got football at four. Adam Kaplan's in the house. And later on tonight, we're going to talk some fills uh, with Dave Yegler. Uh, Jagler, who's going to uh, call the game tomorrow here on 97.3 ESPN of the Phillies and Dodgers series. More Sports Bash coming up here from the ShopRite LPGA Classic on 97.3 ESPN. Now, Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Two on a Sports Bash happy hour Friday. Bunch of text messages coming in. What are you drinking on the happy hour Friday? Stephen Kate May says Allagash Hop Reach IPA. Now that one, I've had the Allagash White. It's a little out of my zone there. The Allagash White. This guy's going Allagash Hop Reach IPA. Nice and full flavored citrus, tropical notes. Not too fruity. Give it a try, Mike. It will not disappoint. Like our Philadelphia 76ers do. Uh, I will try the Allagash Hop Reach IPA. Happy Hour Friday, Stephen Cape May Courthouse. You're in on the uh, Tracy Morgan tickets. You're entered. So many times throughout this year, this guest is so off base and at times so clueless, he's hard to listen to. I think he's there countless times he's day. Uh, what are you talking about? McGarry's off base? I don't know who he's talking about. You're going to have to be more specific. Uh, Mike, NBA should do some outside games like hockey. That's hard to do. You know, they do the college basketball game on the on the um, airplane uh, carrier. Mike, was there a deal in place for Ben Simmons with Buddy Heald? Uh, I think the Halliburton thing may have. I don't know. No, I think it was. But well, he's asking if it was in was it an actual thing that they said no to? Right? He said it was at BS. Um, I I think Halliburton he got traded for. So, uh, for Sabonis, right. He got traded for Sabonis. But, uh, was it on the table? I, I can't, I, I can't say yes or no to that one. I know at that time, that's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> Somebody came by. So the, uh, the ASOC accelerator, the peach drink I was drinking, the, so the guy who's down the, the way here, I guess he heard that I was talking about it. Travis is his name. So he brought us over like a case of them. Because he was thanking me. I said, the girl gave it to me. I tried. It was really good. And uh, so my buddy George over here, he just walked by the table. What's this drink you're talking about? I said, try one. And he took a sip. He said, this is really good. (laughs) I got to be honest. This is really good. I wasn't lying. Um, I mean, if it wasn't all that good, I wouldn't ask for another one. Um, But some text messages uh, we're getting to here. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, coming up, it's football at four. Adam Kaplan's in the house. NBA Finals tonight, game four. You got uh, the Heat up 2-1 in Miami. Denver wins tonight. Denver wins tonight. Right? Everybody thought that Denver would win the last game, or Miami would win the last game. Denver's up 2-1. I think Denver takes control. I said the other day, Denver and five was my pick at the beginning. I think we're on our way for Denver and five. You can't have a team that just comes out and shoots threes. That's their only redeeming quality. That's not a basketball team. At some point, this has to end. And Jokic kills them tonight. Denver goes up 3-1. More Sports Bash coming up.
97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have real confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Jeff Mosher and this man, Adam Kaplan. We like to call him the third member of the NWO as he enters in on a happy hour Friday. We had three doses of Mosh this week, but we got Adam back for happy hour Friday. He wouldn't miss a happy hour Friday, now would you, Adam? No, I wouldn't, uh, no doubt. Yeah, You know, the third member... Uh, look, it's got to be one of the all-time great wrestling angles. In fact, probably the best one when, when uh, Hulk Hogan shockingly turned heel. I don't know if I told you the story. In 1996, my nephew, Sam, who would wind up being a, later in his career, would, would actually be an MMA promoter for Bellator, uh, Sam Kaplan. And my nephew, John, who's now in his 40s, and John was probably like tw- 11 or 12, and this is how long ago it was. We all got it wrong. We could not get it right. I don't know about you, Mike, if you were watching it then. we, we I think one of us guessed Sting, but here's the thing, as Eric Bischoff said on his, his podcast, Sting was the backup idea to Hogan if Hogan backed out. Yeah. But no, none of us got it. We were shocked. It was a great angle. Really yeah, well, and, and well, the late Bobby Heenan had been criticized for, for for kind of giving it away as Hogan was coming down. He had been criticized for the way he did the commentary that night. But that, other than that, it was well pulled off. And, I, and when I met Tony Schiavone a couple of years ago at the uh, NFL owners meetings in, uh, in in Fort Lauderdale, I think, I remember saying to Tony, I said, Tony, your your line at the end was incredible. Hulk Hogan, you could go straight to hell. I mean, how great was that? Come on. I mean, that, was, that was fantastic. And Tony's still doing it, by the way. Yeah, he's great. Really nice guy. Really enjoyed meeting him. Uh, that, that was interesting. But, yeah, look, it's uh, we're, in, we're in football season, Mike, and uh, OTAs are – they just started last week. Now they're over. I mean, this, this is what we're dealing with now. Yeah, well, the Eagles OTAs are over. The players are done until late July, and I guess that is one of the big things is, like, now what? The, the, this is where the teams kind of bite their fingernails for about a month here uh, on letting the players kind of out on their own and, and you know, until the next time they see them. Yeah, 100%, because they really don't want to hear, you know, obviously if the agent calls or law enforcement calls, it's probably not going to be a good conversation, and they're just hoping not to have that. You know, the Eagles over the years and the 20-some-odd years I've covered this team, very rarely if they had an off-the-field situation happen that was serious, uh, that, that everyone was aware of. I mean, I know things happen sometimes and things don't get out, but you know they're, they're usually pretty high-character guys. That's the one thing you could say about the Eagles. You don't hear a lot about, uh, I'm not saying they're perfect, but you don't hear a lot about guys off the field when they're not around the football team. Yeah, Adam, uh, we got a lot to dive into with these OTAs this week. Let's look at the big comments I guess Sirianni yesterday made <laughs> regarding Quez Watkins. I mean, Watkins obviously has been a guy uh, that they went out and got uh, uh, Zacchaeus to play slot, we think anyway. Quez Watkins kind of, you know, brushed, a, bristled at it a little bit. like you got, And Nick Sirianni just came over the top rope yesterday and said, well, Quez knows that you guys have been criticizing him, and I'm not afraid to say some of this stuff. So what was with all the evasive praise uh, of, of Quez Watkins yesterday? Are we expecting big things from Quez? Well, look, if you remember Sirianni last offseason, the 22 offseason, he came out with that quote. I, I may not have it exactly right, but I, I have the I have the general gist of it. 
but Watkins could be the best number two receiver that he's ever coached. Now, I've been a big Sirianni supporter since he's become the head coach. I, I didn't roast him over his first press conference of nationally and locally. He was ridiculed and criticized. I, I just know how it is. You got to be careful of criticizing a coach at a press conference. We, we, we evaluate him by how he coaches, not, not what he says at a press conference. Anyway, so this, I just thought it was so outrageous what he said last year. I'm like, Quest Watkins is not a bad backup receiver. No one thought he was a number two receiver. I know the guy can run. It's the one one of the few times that I've strongly disagreed with what Sirianni said. Now, to Watkins' defense, he was hurt last season. Watkins revealed that he had a bad shoulder injury. I don't know that he had surgery, but I know he, he said he had a bad shoulder injury. Okay, but that wasn't the entire season. And he, he, he completely fell on his face. He was he struggled. And another thing, Mike, we, we talk about this on our show, which dropped today. We had a... We dropped it a day late. Uh, first time we've done that, we dropped it this morning on all of our platforms. We, we did discuss this. Mike, he's really not a true slot. He's a vertical guy. And you mentioned OZ, uh, Olamide Sakias. He's a better slot receiver. He can handle the short area stuff. That's not Watkins' forte. So, to me, he's just been miscast. Why don't you have him be the top backup outside receiver? Because remember now, uh, they, they, uh, they lost that guy. Not that he was great at doing it. Uh, but they lost Zach Pascal. He, he he barely caught the ball, but he technically was their top outside backup outside receiver. Well, now Watkins should be that guy. I mean, could could it could it, let's put it this way? Could it be Oz? Yeah, because he's been a starter, but he's not. He's only five nine, and you like that Watkins runs better. He's a little bit bigger physically, so one of those two guys will be the top back outside receiver and will also play in the slot. But I think what's what's happened clearly here is as much as Sirianni's not willing to admit it, Quez Watkins is was Miss Kessler's. Yeah, well, I will say this, Adam, just to kind of further the conversation, which is uh, Watkins had some inconsistencies. It's not like it's, you know, hey, he got very small amount of reps and made the most of them. No, and he got some opportunities to make play the Super Bowl. Um, he didn't come through all the time. I mean, he had the fumble in the game against Washington. I mean, there are some big moments in this in, in the season where he had a chance to kind of separate himself and secure his position. He didn't take advantage of him. So he shouldn't be taking it as a criticism more so. Hey, I got opportunities and I didn't make the most of them. They brought in competition and I need to get better. Yeah, I know, Mike, Eagles over the years, and I talked to Joe Banner about this when uh, he was on our show last fall. Joe said they really like players on the final year of their deal. They had a little bit of extra motivation. And, look, Watkins is now on the final year of his rookie deal. This is a big year for him because if he could just be productive in whatever role he has, that'll show in free agency because the guy can run. It's not like he's old. We know we had outlined this, uh, gosh, going back three years ago about his immaturity. But they, they had no off-the-field problems with him at all in years. And it was he never got in trouble, but just he needed to mature a little bit. And... The, the conduct's been better, and look, he, he's got a lot to prove. You're right. It's a big year for him. This is this will be one of the training camp battles, Zacchaeus versus Quez Watkins for that number three role. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, and, and as we've kind of chronicled a little bit, Adam, I don't know if you look at OTAs and see if anybody jumped off the page, but they don't have a whole heck of a lot of – depth after that right i mean we talked right. about it. if brown and 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 uh smith if somebody got hurt they don't have a whole heck of a lot of uh, outside talent so that's where watkins could really have a big role yeah and that was what we were talking about earlier mike and you just mentioned two players if brown and smith gets hurt now zacchaeus has technically been a starter i know atlanta they didn't throw the ball much but he played he played starter snaps at, at various points of his career 
he's also on a one-year deal, has a lot to prove. And and you look at the Watkins situation, so that situation will work itself out. But you mentioned the depth. I mean, Greg Ward's only a slot. This is his on and off sixth year with the team. It's incredible. Then you got not a Hasselwood Rambo, not a Hasselwood or undrafted free agents. Covey's only a slot. He never he really didn't play the slot last season. That is a little bit of a surprise. And Tyree Cleveland is a former draftee of the Broncos, who was a seventh rounder at the University of Florida. Brian Johnson, I'm sure knows, but who's their Eagles new OC. But they don't have anything. Uh, these guys haven't proven anything. So you're right. No, it, it's a it's a fair point because if you if OTAs are over now, so what are the problem spots? Depth at inside linebacker, depth at uh, backup outside receiver, slot. They're 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 okay at slot. Zacchaeus and Watkins can do it. Smith has played inside. I, I don't. It's not a, again, Covey. If you could just if you could just carry over the, the OTA performance and actually carry it into training camp, he may get some snaps at slots. So it's not a really big deal. But also, inside linebacker is definitely a problem. And safety, they have numbers, but none of them are proven. I mean, Edmonds has been a disappointment as a former first-round pick. Blankenship could certainly be a good third safety. Brown's a rookie. Wallace is a backup safety special teamer. Edmonds, Justin Edmonds is here, but what is he as a player? And Tristan McCollum is a guy who's got length but's never played in the NFL. Yeah, uh, good stuff from Adam Kaplan. Football at four here from InsideTheBirds.com. The new Inside the Birds podcast, it dropped today on all podcasting platforms. You and Jeff had a little fun exercise uh, earlier in this week. We talked to Jeff about his roster. You went with an all-NFC East offense. And how many Eagles and uh, players do we see land uh, on your squad on this all-NFC East offense? All right, so a couple things here. So Jeff came up with this idea, and literally – Ten seconds, I said, I'm in. This is, the, like, the greatest idea we, we've ever had, either you or I. I said, dude, this is, like, the best. And as we both correctly predicted, the 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 response has been overwhelming. Emails, although they don't like the way we dra- – they wanted us to do a snake draft for two people. <laughs> so, which means, okay, if you draft first, I draft second, and then the next round I draft first. So, basically, I you pick first, but I pick twice, kind of like a fantasy draft. But – yeah. And these are good suggestions, but we took more as an NFL draft because you know you don't you don't you don't do a snake in an NFL draft. Whoever picks first picks first in every round unless they trade the pick. So that's that's the way, that's that's really the way we did it. Now offensively, what what we did was Mike in, in that in, in the one that we did earlier this week for Monday. Um, you know that was our first draft, and it, again, I, what I did. What I did in that draft, and you could see that that was earlier this week. You could, well, I know we on insidethebirds.com, Mike. You could, anyone could go there and read the uh, read the write up as uh, our, uh, someone wrote it up for us, which is great. But the defensive one, I, I loved it. I, although I think my, I think my team on offense is a little better, um, and I'll, I'll get into kind of what I would have done if we could just pick a, uh, pick a roster overall without doing a draft. We'll do that in a second. But defensively, it was. Mike, I, I thought I did well, but he Jeff dominated my team on defense. I, I, he, he on defensive line, I did well with Dexter Lawrence and Jerron Payne. But if you hear Jeff's front four, it's just it's like an all star team. Of, and, and, and by the way, it's the NFC East only, but it might be one of the better front fours you could put together. Jeff just did a great job there. Now, because he went with Micah Parsons first, I had to go Reddick second. I don't think I had a choice. And then I wound up getting Tank Lawrence. He got Josh Sweat for me. I really wanted him to be my my second defensive end. And we're in that draft, on the defensive draft, which we did for today. You're allowed to start two stand up outside linebackers, or you, you can only have two edge rushers. It depends how you want to do it. But what I did was, Mike, I did a three defensive tackle alignment. Why? Because the Eagles, you were, Jeff said we could do it for this draft. 
You know, the Eagles, every single game last season started three defensive tackles. It didn't mean they all played a lot, but that's what they did. So I went with that. I went with Jalen Carter fairly early, Mike. I'm, mm. I'm over the belief, based on our, our information, based on what we've been told, right, that he's got a real shot. Now, this is me speaking this part, but I'm going to explain why I'm saying this. Everything we've heard about him is good. If he stays on the straight now or off the field, he's got a real shot to be defensive rookie of the year. I know it's a little bit bold, but the guy, the guy's 10th pick overall. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't say that it would be bold. I would think that it would be hopeful considering many people thought if he didn't get into some trouble that he may have been in play for the first player non-quarterback picked, right? 100%. Yeah, I agree with that. But, no, people thought it was bold because it, it, do you trust him off the field? That's the thing. It's like it, he. I don't think he's going to be feast or famine so much. It's can he grow up, Mike, in a quick period because he – and you heard his probably his comment when uh, I think they went to him a- after they picked him. I, I forget whether it was on ESPN or NFL Network where he said, you know, he thanked the Eagles and they're not going to regret it. They just was very, he was very thankful mm-hmm. for them drafting him. And look, the, the Eagles are they're taking a risk here because of that major off the field issue. But I, I know talking to personal sources, I, this is where I use it on our show. The one, one of the guys I trusted, man, he's an ex Adamican Sue. He's a bully in a good way. He's built very similarly. He's got better than average pass rush skills. And it, this could be very interesting with this guy. And I really believe he's got a chance to even be a breakout player as a rookie. Yeah, we, we all, um, you know, we, Jeff and I's conversation when we were talking about the, the, the defense earlier this week and Carter, you know, you got Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, and Jalen Carter. Is that crew going to be able to be better than Fletcher Cox, Linval Joseph, and, and Javon Hargrave? And that might really be a big question with this Eagles defense this season. Well, Jordan Davis has got to obviously play a lot, a minimum of 40% of the snaps, but I would think more if he's healthy. He made small progress before the uh, high ankle sprain, but the big thing is we we put out a couple months ago, he real diligent in his workouts, was in there when he was allowed in the building in February, March, more March than February, but March, April, May, he looks great. He, he's got a great attitude, Jordan Davis does. And look, I, I've kind of, I'm like, I, here's what I would say. I, I said I was... I forget the word. I I, I use. Um, but I was. I, I was. I said I've been optimistic, but I never go like super optimistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went from cautiously optimistic to now I would call it reasonably optimistic. Is probably my upgrade on him. But the thing is, being in good physical shape does not mean you're in great condition. In the heat in in, in Philly, down at the Novacare Complex, in late July and early August, when it's high eighties and early nineties, Mike, you know what it's like in this area. Everyone listening does. Oh yeah. You, you got to be able to stand it, and he couldn't handle the heat last year, so we'll see. Yeah, uh, Christian Ellis has been a big name. Uh, yeah. You have any uh, nuggets on on Christian yeah. Ellis? It's legitimate. I don't see what we said on today's show. You have to be careful with what's out there. Reporters only see two practices, and they only want seven on sevens mostly. There's no eleven on eleven, so you have to be careful. Those are passing drills. So yeah, you're going to have a chance to get your hands on balls, and it's great that he he had what three picks. But as it was explaining to me privately, Mike, it's very rare for a guy hit his size. He's much bigger than you think. He moves really well. In fact, I said on today's show, I, I want to find out what, why wasn't he drafted? Because, Mike, he put together good defensive tape when he was allowed to play defense late last season. He looked good. We know he became, once they put him on special teams, one of the better special teams players. So, you know, the Eagles don't like to spend money on the inside linebacker. They didn't try to, to resign uh, TJ Edwards. So, overall, Mike, this kid absolutely could push Nick Mora. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't. 
not saying it's going to win it. We're not there yet. We don't, we're again, these are only OTAs. And if I've learned anything in over 20 years, you have to be careful about off season hype. And they, they only had six practices. You, and again, a lot of guys were not working all the time. So, you, but he definitely was in there with some good players and, uh, we'll see what happens, but that you know, that to me, they may not call it a training camp battle, but I'm going to call it one because Morrow's new to this defense in terms of the Eagles, but he's not new to it in, in scheme because he was in it in Chicago with the Bears. Right. Well, and and Adam, we'll leave you on this. You know, we talk about OTAs coming to a close, and what do they really mean? This is one of the things where you see a guy perform in OTAs that now you say, "All right, I want to see more from this guy when we get to training camp." You did enough in this element that I want to see more from you when we get to the next element. So I would, I would liken this to what you said as the off season is double a baseball. You as a baseball guy can relate to this. I've always said that training camp in the preseason, particularly training camp is triple a baseball, but can they hit the fastball and it, 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 what I call the major leagues in the regular season. And it always separates. Cause I, you know, I travel the, the, the country for training camps and I've seen a lot. You're not always going to be right with what you see. But when you talk to personnel people, it's always you, you got to find out what happens. What does the practice tape look like? What happens when reporters aren't there? Because we don't have access. Our eyes can't see everything. I don't care what any reporter says. You can't see every play at practice. It's impossible because you're not looking for it. You don't know. And plus, some guys really don't know the game. They don't know what they're looking at. They think they do. <laughs> but you would have to ask yourself, well, who, what are they really seeing? And I, I, if I've learned anything, seven on seven, you got to be careful. But you do look for traits. Can the guy move? And you're talking about Ellis. Yes, he can move. But can he put it together in training camp? That, that's the question. Adam Kaplan and the guys have a new podcast out. It dropped this morning over at Inside the Birds Platforms. Check that out. And, of course, football at four right here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Happy hour Friday to you, Adam. Thanks, bud. Thanks, man. All right, Adam Kaplan here from InsideTheBirds.com and the Inside the Birds podcast. Him and Jeff dropped out, uh, dropped a new podcast today. And of course, football at four rolls all off season long into the summertime, right up through training camp. Sports Fast Live 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. We got sound of the day coming up. You know, we have, uh, yesterday we were talking about live and PGA and the merger at the golf world. We're actually at the LPGA right now. And we wondered out loud, what's next? If they have a merger in the golf world, could there be mergers in other sports or maybe even a takeover in other sports? Our buddy David Sampson from Nothing Personal Podcast. We've got some audio from him and more. We got Josh's sound of the day coming up next on the Sports Fast Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Happy Hour Friday, giving us some good suggestions. Got some more coming in on the text board. 609-403-0973. What do you have it on a happy hour Friday? John from Cape May. Heading to the Phillies game with a Cape May IPA can for me tonight. Let's go, Phillies. Enjoy your weekend. Happy hour weekend. Yeah, John, enjoy the game tonight, man. Phils and Dodgers at Citizens Bank Park. He's heading to the Phillies game with a Cape May IPA. What do you have? And we had the Allagash Hop IPA earlier uh, this hour. I'll look back through some of the text messages throughout the show. 609-403-0973. What do you have in on a happy hour Friday? 
Give us some good suggestions, and we'll read them off throughout the rest of the show. Sound of the day. Josh has today's clips. What do we got today, man? I'm looking forward to a little happy hour Friday. Well, you got a couple hours left before you can uh, boogie-woogie out of there, so. Hot tailing out of here. I'm out of here. So, your buddy, Dave Sampson, on his podcast. What's the name of it again? I always forget the Nothing name. personal. It's Nothing just personal. Just business, man. Nothing personal. So, what he did is he decided to go, for those who don't listen to the podcast regularly like Mike does, Sampson takes listener questions. And the one listener question kind of opened the door for him to go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And the rabbit hole was, well, if the Saudis are taking over PGA through Live, and they're basically the main people who are running the golf world now, right? What does that mean for other? Yeah, let me just real quick. Let me just real quick. So yeah. this was from a podcast. Ah, uh, Wednesday, I want to say. It was Wednesday's podcast. Wednesday's pod, yes. Yes. So today, on my way over here, I listened to today's podcast, and he furthered the conversation, actually, uh, to add some more thoughts to the mix. So I'm interested to hear what bites you picked out here, because this is I thought this was a fascinating conversation on where sports could be heading. And think about this, as you're listening to... These bites from Dave Sampson. The Phillies just brought on a new investor, right? A new owner, essentially, that bought 16% of the team. Right, minority shares. Well, why would they do that? They need more influx of capital. So think about that when you're listening to some of the things David Sampson says. So I want to start with Sampson wanted to explain the value of Saudi investment. Because I think there's a lot of people out there who are like, well, why would anyone even want to take this money? Like, why would anyone be interested in this money? Well, Samson first explains why this has value to people. The NBA already told you that they were going to allow sovereign fund investment in teams. But there has not been one announcement of any sovereign money being invested into a team. Why will baseball and football follow suit and allow sovereign fund investment? Because they're printing money. And if you want the value of your teams to increase, which is the job of every commissioner, which is how they make $60 million a year, Roger Goodell, you have to have a larger group who can fund those size transactions. Right. So think about what I just said with the Phillies. They brought on one other owner to influx and infuse like $400 million in cash into their um, ability to spend. Why? Well, one of the reasons you take a look back at is the pandemic. You know, the Phillies had a couple seasons there. They had a season where they had no fans in the stands, right? So they, they had to play a baseball season paying salaries to players when they had no fans in the stands. So they need a infusion. Well, what Samson says, you're going to take $400 million from one guy? What about if one guy can come in there and give you an astronomical infusion of cash and that's not just for one team that's for the entire league 
Right. And I really want to get to this audio from Samson because he uses a specific example. For those who don't know the whole story, Josh Harris, who is the owner of the Sixers and Devils, he is going through the process with the NFL of buying the Washington Commanders. Well, the problem for Harris is he doesn't have all the cash on hand, and the NFL is in a position where they're asking questions about, okay, well, how are you going to pay this $6 billion? And Samson says that the Saudis could be an example of someone who would help someone buying a team like Josh Harris. Josh Harris is leading a bid to buy the commanders at $6.05 billion. And the reason it hasn't been announced is that he is cobbling together the money and he's one of the richest people you'll meet. And there's nothing more limiting as being a limited partner in a sports team. A normal individual does not want to write a $100 million check in order to get a signed baseball and a quarterly meeting. Hmm. Just to have to write checks every year because the team's losing money operationally. Where can you identify a pot of money that's not in the form of debt, where there is no care in the world about operating losses, where there's no care in the world about lack of actual say in the operations of the team, and which can lead to increased asset valuations? Yeah, um, and where they're not expecting an ROI. Right? Right. They just want a piece of it. What people don't understand is the Saudis are not looking to, quote unquote, make money off of these things. They just want a part of the action. They want to own the action. It's like the person who says, I'm not trying to make money off of, let's say, the NASCAR team. I just want to be a part of the team. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They're not expecting an ROI. They go out and start this live golf tour, not to make money off the live golf tour, but just because they want to be a part of something um, similar to what they've done with FS1 and some of the other interests that they are now a part of. And he mentioned that Josh Harris is trying to cobble some money together to try to get to, what, $600 billion. Well, you can have one Saudi investor come in and say, you need $600 billion, six, $6 billion? Uh, Here you go. That's not a problem. And I don't need anything other than just to say, I'm on the board. I, I, I'm here. Yeah, um, and the thing is, is like for, you mentioned F1, for example, the, the international racing. The Saudis are there so they can be in on the action. It's like, for the, I know you haven't seen it, Mike, but a lot of people out there have seen the play, the Hamilton play, where the famous song where Aaron Burr says, I want to be in the room where it happens. Yeah. That's what the Saudis want. They want to be in where the action is going on. They, they want the thrill of being in the room where the decisions happen. Well, and keep this in mind. For the people out there, you know, maybe you're a WWE fan, maybe you're not. But the WWE routinely runs shows in um, Abu Dhabi. Correct. Why do they do that? Because... The prince just wants to be entertained. He owns he a says, chunk of the company. He says, I just want to see Brock Lesnar up close. I want I want to see Goldberg. Go get Goldberg and tell him I want him to wrestle in my country. And it's for no other reason because I can. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. I just can. So then Samson says, all right, so take everything we just talked about. Hey, Dan Statman. Oh, Dan Statman, sir. Uh, I was going to say, Samson says, well, there's a natural next step. 
right? Let's say the Saudis, okay, they got the golf world. They own that. Let's say they're helping out a person here or there. Mike, what is the natural next step in this progression? Dave Sampson explains. The natural next step for these investment funds and sovereign funds is that they're going to take positions in existing teams. The step after that is they will be taking positions in new teams. The step after that is they will be taking controlling positions in teams. You think that America is going to sit on its high horse and watch the valuations of teams in the EPL or watch what happened with F1 and not want to participate? You think that we're not going to see a day in the next 10 to 20 years where the money, the blood money, is not going to have controlling interest in an American team? And that's one of the big conversations with the PGA is, you know, where the money has kind of come from. And that the fact that if it starts infiltrating into other avenues, because there's a lot of people, this is where the conversation really goes. I've heard numerous people after numerous people after numerous people say they're not going to watch the, the tour anymore. Right. They're just saying, I'm not going to watch. Um, I just can't. I, I refuse to watch. Well, what happens when that now goes into football? What happens when that now goes into the NBA and into Major League Baseball? That is what he is asking. That's essentially what he said right there. Yeah, is and- is what happens at that moment where you're getting that influx of cash in the NBA, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, and the NFL? Yeah, because for example, F1, the Premier League, WWE, and UFC all have chunks of their properties owned and financed by the Saudis. So, but people only started caring when the Gulf Live Tour happened. No one really said much of a hoopla about it until then. Well, now that it's on people's radar, Mike, what happens when, as Dave Sampson explains, there's a big what if when it comes to the NFL. There's a big what if if the Saudis decide to really push their chips to the middle of the table. Do you see a scenario where there's the possibility of Saudi Arabia going to the owners of the NFL and saying, I'll buy you all out for $50 billion each. I want to own the league for a trillion dollars. Any interest? You're going to tell me, David, you're being ridiculous. How could you even think that one day could get to that point? Did you think that one day we'd get to this point? That's the whole purpose of what rich people call vision, corporate magnates call planning, and I call eventuality. That comment there is what we were talking about yesterday a little bit in that, and I was saying $50 million per team. He, I re-listened to the podcast, and he said fifty billion dollars per team so he essentially saying the saudi prince walks in jeffrey laurie i'll take the eagles for 50 billion jeffrey uh jerry jones i'll take the cowboys 50 billion all of these teams are saying okay what's the evaluation of my franchise not 50 billion right it's more like five or six billion correct so what did samson say earlier in these clips which is most of these teams operate at a loss. 
the they operate at a loss with the possibility that the valuation of their team from where they bought it to when they sell it you're making money hand over fist. Look at the Sixers with Josh Harris. When he bought the team, I think it was $231 million or $330 million or something to that effect. Well, it's worth like $6 billion now or somewhere in that. I think it's $6 billion, right, the the Sixers? So you're in a situation. Harris bought the team for $280 million. $280. And what is it, what's the valuation on the Sixers now? He bought it. Uh, it is worth $3.1 billion. $3.15 billion, according to Forbes. Yes. So he bought it at $280 million. It's worth, you tell me the process didn't work? <laughs> the, the franchise is worth $3 billion. He bought it for $280 million, you knuckleheads. And to bring I mean, it it's full, simple math. And to bring it the full circle, we started this conversation talking about the Phillies with their minority investor, right, Mike? Well, you mentioned a lot of teams are operating at a loss. Well, look what the NBA and Major League Baseball is going through in hockey shortly right now with the regional sports networks. Some of these regional networks overplayed their hand, and now they're unable to pay, and they're in court because the courts are basically hearing the discussion about do these entities have to pay money even if it bankrupts them? And so these teams are depending on millions and billions of dollars for their TV rights. Well, now, if you're a team like, and not the, not the Phillies, the Phillies aren't one of the teams that are in this boat, but we use the Phillies as an example. What if something happens where money that they anticipate to come in no longer is coming in? Then where are you going to find that cash? You're talking about the if... If the Saudi money runs out, no, no, I'm talking about the regional sports networks. Like, oh, right, right, right. Okay, 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 okay. So, like, where if you're a team, like, right, let's that's say, a great point. No, that's the Padres. Padres just gave out two massive contracts, right, to uh, Soto and uh, what's the other guy's name for the Red Sox who went over there? Um, uh, Bogarts. But Xander Bogarts. Thank you. Well. How are they going to pay for that if the TV network money is no longer coming in? The Padres have one of the top ten largest regional TV deals yeah. in all of Major League Baseball. If that money is disappearing, well, where do the Padres go for an influx of cash? Yeah, this is the next problem. Uh, this is the next problem in, in Major League Baseball and the NBA to some extent. The difference between the NBA and baseball in this whole situation is that baseball hitched its wagon as a regional sport. The NBA is a more national sport. They have TNT. They have ESPN. They have uh, the ability still to be a national project. Baseball really only has Sunday night baseball now. They have the Tuesday night on TBS, but they do not have these national windows. They have right. hitched their wagon to being a more regionalized sport, and, and the money was coming from your NBC Sports Philadelphia's, your Yes Networks, for the people who are more in this region. Many of these places, and particularly the Bally Sports that were owned by Diamond, they, they went bankrupt. So they are no longer, when when the Phillies, NBC Sports Philadelphia, say, pays the Phillies, hey, here's $500 million for us to air the Phillies games on television. And for that $500 million, you know, we get pregame access, postgame access, player has to do an interview after the game, all of these things. Well, if that $500 million goes out the window, where are the Phillies now recouping that? Now, the Phillies aren't a team that's in trouble 
as much as the Bally Sports ones because right. they're already bankrupt and they're no longer paying that $500 million. They just defaulted and said, take the product back and do what you want with it. That's where it's going to be interesting to see how these owners, when they start to feel the squeeze. So for people out there saying, well, what does this have to do? You know, the live golf thing infiltrating the PGA, they've essentially taken over that sport because that sport needed an influx of cash. Right. The, now the question that Samson is asking that has us wondering, at what point does Saudi money take over Major League Baseball teams because they need an influx of cash and the NBA because they need an influx of cash. And I'm, and I'm glad you went to NBA because that's the final cut I want to play for you here, Mike, is Samson goes into a further explanation because he started the conversation saying, hey, the NBA has already given the okay for this public fund money from the Saudis potentially coming in. Well, what does that mean in real time for the NBA? Because Samson says the NBA might be the first to really dip their foot into these waters. The NBA is the first one there out front saying, hey, we will allow sovereign funds to invest in our teams. No announcements yet. I can think of two teams that make perfect sense to have investment by a sovereign fund. And coincidentally, they're the two teams who just invested money to buy their own networks in a world where buying networks is not a good plan because they're not worth that much. Jerry Reinsdorf and the Bulls and Ted Leonisis and the Washington Wizards, two NBA teams, both of whom just spent money to buy their networks. But Ted Leonisis, he's one of the bidders for the Washington Nationals. Wouldn't it make sense to take some money off the table with the Washington Wizards and use that money to help his bid and finance his bid for the Washington Nationals so he can get all teams under the umbrella of the network that he bought before the value of networks went to crap? If he knocks on Adam Silver's door and says, please allow this investment in my team, what's Adam Silver going to say? No? Well, that's going to be the question. Is he going to say no, or are they finally going to say, you know what, we don't have another choice? Yes. And the first breadcrumb leads to more. It's like going to Sam's Club. They give you the they give you the uh, samples on Saturdays for a reason. You try that sample, and generally you end up buying what you just tried because you're like, man, this was pretty good. And uh, that would be how I would look at this live and PGA merger is in the sports world. This was the sample, and now the other sports are looking to say, "Do we want a bigger sample and get it into our sport so that our sport has more of an influx of cash?" And you just have to consider. You know, we're not saying the the Saudis are on the verge of taking over these sports. What we're saying is, is that as Samson said earlier in the cuts. You've opened the door for just, this. It's, what, it's just, as he's kind of described it as, just having a seat at the table. Yeah, and having a seat at the table might be enough for some of these guys, but we don't know how much of a seat at the table they're getting because... Well, the question is, what is the motive, right? If you give, If you have a seat at the table, where eventually does that seat lead you to? And I think that's where we're all asking is, okay, what's the big deal? And I look at it like this. What's the big deal? Well, some people say, I'll never watch again. People weren't watching Live for a certain reason. Now they're saying, I won't watch the PGA for a certain reason. Will it turn certain 
uh, fans off that says, I will not watch that sport if that is where you're getting your funding from. And my response to that is, I don't see any of those people turning off F1, WWE, Premier League Soccer, and UFC. So why are we picking and choosing one sport versus another? Yeah, I don't know. Um you know, there's always that, that, that person out there that does stand to their principles and says, I, I won't do it. But I think generally that is the minority crowd that says, you know, I'll never buy an Eagles ticket again because Michael Vick's the quarterback. Uh, I think that lasted for maybe a year, possibly. Um, that kind of stuff generally kind of fades out. Um, there were a lot of people in 20, what, uh, uh, the Kaepernick years, what 2016, it, that said they'll never watch football again. Well, yeah. those people are back watching football. Many of them, some may have held stuck to their guns, but the ratings suggest that uh, you didn't. All right, Sports Bash Live, good stuff. David Sampson, uh, nothing personal is the podcast. I always think he has thought-provoking conversation. Uh, if listen to today's podcast, you can listen to his furthering of that conversation sports bass live 97.3 espn dave jagler the uh, play-by-play voice for espn radios company phillies and dodgers this weekend he'll join us at five o'clock tonight we're Bass live from the Shoprite lpga coming up on 97.3 espn from the now for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We're live at the ShopRite LPGA. The ShopRite LPGA Classic is here all weekend long at the Seaview in Galloway. Uh, right now, we've got a tie at the top of the leaderboard between Shin and Lou. Tied for first. And you can check out all weekend long right here at Seaview, Adolce. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, Dave Jagler is the voice of ESPN Radio's coverage of the Phillies and Dodgers tomorrow. He'll have the play-by-play. He is also the Washington Nationals play-by-play voice. And we'll get a chance to hear the Phillies just played the Nationals. What is he seeing from this Phillies team that is maybe similar or different from last year's team? That's coming up at 5 o'clock tonight. On the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. I'll tell you what, uh, I'm a little sad. Uh, the, this is one of my favorite events of the year. And you can tell, like, Friday, that the first day, everything's kind of... It was packed here earlier. And we had such great... I mean, they have so many samples here. Right in front of us. You know what the most frustrating part is, Josh? What's that? They have a free ice cream truck in front of me. The line for this thing just never stopped. They were giving away free ice cream all day. And you didn't get any? No, the line was just constantly long. Every time I went to commercial, I was like, oh, I'll run over there. And they have like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I mean, they have like ten different ice cream offerings over there. Free ice cream. Uh, they got free everything. I mean, everything down this little, uh, 
uh, alleyway, expo, what do they call it? Uh, the expo alley. Everything's free down here. Remember last year I was here, I got the, uh, the guy got me the good wipes. Yes, he did. The guy's here again. I didn't see him, but I did get his product. Nice. I, I, I sampled the product, but last year he gave me the whole thing. They were fantastic. I gotta find that guy again, but that's what you find. There's a bunch of little. <laughs> you gotta hunt that guy down. Yeah, Mike. man. I, I went over to the, sh- the to his booth, and he was. You wasn't gotta make there. a choice between the ice cream and the wipes. Well, it's funny because I went over to the wipes spot, and I went to talk to the guy, and the girl said he's over at the ice cream truck. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were right in front of the ice cream truck. The right, the ice cream truck is right in front of us, uh, to our left. Was where now the mac and cheese? It was what a truffle mac and cheese, a non-dairy mac and cheese they had here. We said uh, Danny's been just getting everything. He's been sampling it all. He's just been bringing me over all sorts of stuff. He's got me all the drinks. I mean, this girl brought over a case of this peach paradise. It's only peach in that case. Uh, no, there's other flavors, right? Yeah, there's like all sorts of different flavors. But she brought me. Uh, the peach, because I was raving about the peach. So we got the uh, Island Guava, the Rocket Pop. Oh, that one's right up your alley there, yeah. I'm out on the Rocket Pop. I'll be bouncing off the walls. All right, coming up, Dave Jagler is going to join us from ESPN Radio. He'll have the call tomorrow of the Phillies and the Dodgers. And, of course, the Phillies tonight. We gave you the lineup earlier today. Uh, Ranger Suarez on the mound, right? Suarez? All right, that's coming up next. Don't go away. More Sports Pass live from the ShopRite LPGA Classic in Galloway. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, final hour of the show. Sports Bash happy hour Friday. We are uh, rocking and rolling. Phillies have won five in a row. Playing the Dodgers tonight, Citizens Bank Park. Mike Gill with you till the top of the hour. What's happening, friends? As the Phillies and Dodgers renew a three-game series at Citizens Bank Park. You'll hear them tomorrow right here on 97.3 ESPN. Dave Jagler on the call for ESPN Radio. He's also the voice of the Washington Nationals. So he had a nice perspective of the Phils uh, just this past weekend. Of course, he joins us right now as the Phillies and Dodgers tomorrow right here on 97.3 ESPN. Dave, welcome aboard, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to get your perspective. You just saw the Phillies get a kind of an outsider's view. And, of course, as you're prepping uh, for them right now, this is a team that went to the World Series last year, had uh, a fun run there, and then added pieces in the offseason. And this is the product that the fans have been given, 30-32, and 32, not what they expected. But when you watch this team up close the last couple of days when they were in Washington – do you sense a team that is turning the corner, or do you sense a team that is still trying to find its post-World Series identity? Well, I, I can't go as far to say as they've turned a corner, but they took care of business in that they, they have used the Nationals kind of as their punching bag the last two seasons, and then they sweep the Tigers. They did what they had to do, and now they're going to get a bit of a test this, this weekend and the, and the rest of the homestand with the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks, you know, two clubs who are at the top of the division in the NL West back to back so this would be a pretty good indicator but i just i look back and uh, i look back at where they were last year when they were 22 and 29 and fired joe girardi and rob thompson took over and, and they got going had a long winning streak and ultimately you know made it all the way to the world series they're they're in pretty much the same boat they're right around a similar record this year so it's it's way too early to write them off 
you know, the warning signs are the starting pitchers who threw a lot of innings last year off to a slow start. But, you know, the last turn through for Nola taking a no-hitter into the seventh. Wheeler with his performance last night. Suarez had a good start in his last outing. You know, if they can kick it into gear, then this team is going to be fine because, to me, there's too much talent in the lineup, although Hoskins is obviously a big subtraction from their lineup. But I think they're still in a good place. And honestly, Mike, you look at what the National League is, and I look at the American League as being very strong up top but very weak at the bottom. The National League is more jumbled together, so you can have a good week and go from where they are to being in, in wild card position very easily. Yeah, well, one guy, you're right, you know, the Phillies won five in a row. All of a sudden, you know, that went from, oh, my gosh, this team is five out. Now they're two and a half out of the wild card. Uh, one guy, though, that everybody wants to know what's going on with, and you obviously, uh, you know, you take a look at Trey Turner, and i just love to hear what you're thinking's going on with Turner now. I mean, when they signed this guy, 240 was not uh, in vision here. Now uh, they've uh, they've had him in the leadoff. They hit him at two. Now he's in the middle of lineup at number four but nothing has seemed to get get him going uh are you seeing a guy pressing are you seeing a guy that has uh, a hot streak in him is he kind of you know regressing a little bit when you watch trey turner dave what's going on there yeah i I don't think you know i don't think he's regressing to be a a worse player than what he's been i mean i i look at it as you've got a long list of players who when they sign that contract and they go to a new situation not everybody comes out and is gangbusters the first half of the first season fans booed Bryce Harper in the first half of 2019 when he struggled out of the gate and obviously ended up winning an MVP there. So I think Turner is is an outstanding player. I mean, I I saw him bat lead off for a world series championship team. I know what he did the last couple of years with the Dodgers. This guy is too talented to over 162 put up the numbers that he's on pace to put up now. So I I think that there's going to be a big surge here. And if you look over the course of his career, pretty much month to month, he gets better as the season goes along. He's never played well in April. He gets slightly better in May. And as each month goes, he gets better and better. So I, I think that he's the, you know, the best is yet to come for him. Uh, it's, it's a new situation. The, the contract is always going to induce, uh, you know, a, a negative reaction if you struggle. And, and that's, you know, he's got to deal with that. And he's not used to dealing with that. He was never booed in Washington. He was never booed in LA. That's a new thing for him, so I'm sure that's difficult. But I, I know he's happy there. His family's happy there. His wife's from the area. So this is going to be a good thing for him and his career, and I hope he does very well. He's a super guy. I just think, you know, it's, it's going to take some time uh, and just to get used to the new surroundings. And, and by the end of the season, you look up August, September, Trey Turner's numbers are going to be there. Yeah, you hope, uh, you know, if, he, and if they are where they normally get to, he's about to go on a hot streak. I mean, because at 232, he was about a week ago. He had that four for five game, and that kind of yeah. got him going up to into the 240s at least. But if he's going to get going, you might see a guy go from 240 to 280, and that would be a fun run. Uh, Dave Jagler is with us here. Uh, Dave, you take a look at, um, you mentioned uh, Turner and that he hit leadoff for a World Series team. Is that a spot that you think the Phillies hope, you know, well, this has been an interesting conversation the last couple of days. He's hitting number four right now. And if he gets himself going, do the Phillies want to move him out of the four back to the top? Like, in other words, you think that he would like yeah. to matriculate himself back to the top? Yeah, I think he, that's where he should be because, Mike, he, he's a game changer with his speed. Like, you, when you're in the in the cleanup four or five spot, you're not necessarily looking to steal bases. And that, that that's a huge part of his game. And obviously, he hasn't gotten on base enough to take advantage of the new rules and, and to pile up the stolen bases like some other guys around the league. But ultimately, his place is either one or two. Now, what's interesting is 
Kyle Schwarber, you know, he's had a, a strange, you know, he is what he is. He's so streaky, but it always seems like it happened with the Cubs. It happened with the Nationals in June of 2021. They put him in the leadoff spot almost out of desperation, and his season took off. Even the Phillies did that last year, putting up in the leadoff spot, and he took off in the month of June. So there's something about Schwarber in the leadoff spot. So even if you hit Turner second, uh, just to take advantage of him at the top of the order, to me, the more you get him up there, the better. Then you'd have Harper, you know, Castellanos, obviously Rio Muto's not going well right now. You want to get him going in that in that 5-6 spot. I think ultimately, Turner, you know, the Phillies are better served if Turner's playing well and hitting at the top of the lineup either one or two. Uh, Dave uh, will call the action tomorrow. Phillies and Dodgers right here on 97.3 ESPN. Phillies and Dodgers, of course, two teams that entered the season with playoff aspirations. Phillies went to the World Series. The Dodgers have been in the mix seemingly for the last decade here. When you watch Philadelphia right now as constructed, we know uh, last year Nola, Wheeler, they added Walker, they have Suarez. I mean, that pitching there. Uh, do you put them in the same light as the, the right now? You said it's all jumbled up, but there are a couple teams yeah. at the top, Atlanta, L.A., Arizona has surprised. Is Philadelphia more in, in that vein, or do you think they are more in the middle of the pack? Uh, no, I, I think they can be. I mean, I, there are certainly some holes that they need to fill and, and things they need to do better. I mean, right now the number five spot in the rotation is an absolute mess, and you know, they were lucky to get that off day that they could kind of skip that you know, basically using kind of bullpen games on the, in the, on the five day, which is not a, a sustainable strategy of what this team wants to be. Uh, you know, I'm not sold on, on Kimbrell being the, the answer in the ninth inning. So you might look at this team at the, at the trade deadline looking to add a starter and a reliever. Ultimately, I think that the lineup is going to be good. But yes, I, I think the Phillies are in that mix. I can't say right now that over 162, they're, they're up there with the Braves, but certainly they are able to get in. As you saw last year when they got into the number six seed. Anything can happen once you get into the tournament. So I think that you know, Dave Dabrowski has never been shy about tweaking the roster. Uh, I, I would look for them to be buyers at the trade line and, and probably be a better team in August than they are now. As far as the Dodgers, you know, I, I saw them last week as well. They're, they're an interesting team. They've had so many starting pitching injuries. This is a good test for the Phillies. They, Philadelphia went to L.A. in early May, and they got smoked. They gave up double digits in all three games, and the series ended on the Muncie Grand Slam off Kimbrell. So this is a, a nice series to say, well, if they, if they can sweep the series, get over 500, win two of three, make a, make a little bit of a statement that, yeah, we can, we can hang with the big boys out west. Yeah, I, I want to get your opinion, Dave, you know, because one thing the Phillies are lacking is a right-handed guy. And, you know, Hoskins, there were team times last year where the fans tough on him. Uh, you know, he hit that number two spot in the order. I think people were anticipating yeah. that with Turner here, he would be able to slide, move into the middle of the lineup. Uh, but I don't think people realize how big of a loss Hoskins has ended up being. Do you see that as a loss they just haven't replaced? I, I agree. I, I felt that just looking at their lineup last week when they were in Washington. I'm like, man, even though he, you know, at times could be, you know, hot and cold, the one thing about Reese Hoskins is he, he was a tough out. He would see a lot of pitches. You know, you might have to go five, six pitches to get him out, and he was always a threat. You know, he could be 0 for, 0 for 20, but there was a threat. If he came up with two guys on base in a big spot, he could hit the ball out of the ballpark. And, there, and there's something to be said for that. So I think they are missing him, and it's even more exposed with Baum being on the injured list that they're kind of running out at, at first and third, kind of a mishmash of guys trying to spot you know, Clemens, who had the big hit last night, and, and Sosa over there, and they call up Drew Ellis, and you know they played him all three games in Washington. He had a big game in one of those uh, three games with two homers. So, yeah, I, I think they are definitely – missing Reese Hoskins' presence in the lineup, which which is interesting with seeing Bryce Harper work out with the first baseman's mid on. 
you know, obviously, if, he, if he's out there playing first, you can strengthen what is a big weakness on that team, which is outfield defense. You could put either Schwarber or Castellanos as the designated hitter, put someone else in the outfield, maybe not as big a bat, but a little better defensively. Because, you know, the, the game that Zach Wheeler had in Washington, he got roughed up. But there were about two or three balls that could have been caught uh, by by outfielders with more range that might have changed his night. So that's always an issue, as you know, covering the Phillies closely like you do, that the outfield defense is at times a problem. If you if Harper can get healthy enough to throw and play first base, uh, that allows you to DH one of those corner outfielders. Yeah, and uh, one of those corner outfielders is Kyle Schwarber. I'm interested, you know, obviously uh, he had a cup of coffee down there in Washington, and um, he hits leadoff here, and there's a lot of discussion about that. You know, Turner, we just talked about his ability to hit yeah. leadoff. Uh, but what is your thoughts, you know, some people's answer would be, well, they went to the World Series with Schwarber hitting leadoff last year. What's the, you know, but is, is Schwarber, does he like hitting there? Is that something that surprises you when you see him in that leadoff spot? When you look at the makeup of the lineup with Schwarber at the top of this lineup, does that seemingly make sense? Yeah. Well, I, I kind of touched on it before. No, I mean, if you were to construct the ideal lineup, no, it doesn't make sense, but there's something about I don't know why this is, and, and, you know, the analytic people will tell you that where you hit, uh, you know, shouldn't matter and all this, but for something about Schwarber hitting leadoff works for him. Uh, like I told, in, in 2021, he had a miserable first two months for the Nationals, and kind of out of desperation, Dave Martinez put him in the leadoff spot, and he hit 16 home runs in the month of June and was player of the month. Just something about him hitting leadoff, he seems to play better, and obviously he wasn't hitting leadoff much this season until – uh, the last couple of, you know, in the last couple of games, and he had yeah. a two homer game in Washington, another homer the other day that won a game for him. So uh, I don't know. I just, I don't, ideally you wouldn't like that, but there's something about it that <laughs> seems to work well for him. And, uh, if it's, if it's gonna, if it's going to allow him to, you know, to lead the National League in home runs like it did last year, I wouldn't mess with him. Uh, Dave will be on the call tomorrow. Uh, I, my producer told me off the air, you're calling the game with Ruben tomorrow? Tomorrow? Yes, looking forward to that. The former Phillies GM obviously does some broadcasting yeah. with the Phillies, and he's got a, a great perspective from having been in the front office, but having been on the field as a as a base, base coach. I mean, he was he was there in Boston with Mookie Betts, who's one of the the great players in the game to to watch when the great base runners. So, looking forward to working with Ruben tomorrow on the ESPN radio call. Yeah, that'll be right here on 97.3 ESPN. And Dave, of course, is the voice of the Washington Nationals as well. So you look at this NL East as a whole, you don't get to see them as much as we used to with the new schedule here. Mm -hmm. uh, Braves kind of out in front, but Philly's struggling along. What's going on with this Mets team? Is this Mets team uh, got to look at themselves in the mirror and re-shuffle you know, shuffle the deck, or are they just mm -hmm. off to a kind of a start like the Phillies are where they'll get it together? Yeah, that that that's uh, you know to me I, I think the Phillies are in a better place than the Mets just when I compare the two teams. But with that being said, you can't bury the Mets because again, if they if they have a good week, they're right in position because the National League is so compressed. But uh, you know, right now you've got you're relying on older older pitchers specifically with with Scherzer and Verlander both having struggles and times on the injured list this season. Carrasco has been on the injured list part of the season we haven't seen uh, Quintana pitch at all the left-hander whom they they signed and obviously they're missing Edwin Diaz at the back of the bullpen they tried to have David Robertson get a five-out save last night their bullpen is so depleted he gives up a home run and they give up a three-run shot in extra innings to lose so uh, there there are some issues right now I think just with the age of their pitching staff and and we're just barely you know cresting the month of June <laughs> how are these guys going to be in, in in July and August and they might be looking at an extended absence for Pete Alonso and you know when he is not in the lineup and we or when he's not going well their offense is not the same so 
Uh, I, I think the Phillies right now are trending in a positive direction. I cannot say the same about the Mets. Yeah, I think Alonzo, they uh, news today, three, four weeks, he's out. Uh, yep. Pitching has been a problem for their bullpen has been a problem for them. Um, uh, Dave, you look at this National League as we, we, we take a look at um, the top right now. L.A., I think Arizona's in first in the West, so L.A.'s at the top of the yeah. wild card. But Pittsburgh, Miami, San Francisco, they're the teams in the mix at the top. Do they have the staying power for the dog well, days of summer? No. And that, that, when you say those names, that's why, as if I'm a Phillies fan, I'm thinking that my team is in a good place, even though they've played mediocre baseball for the first 62 games of the season. The Marlins have the worst run differential in the National League East. They've been a, a mirage. They've won a bunch of one-run games. They've, they've beaten up on the, the weaker teams in the American League, Kansas City and Oakland here recently. I don't think they're sustainable. Arizona is sustainable to me. I, I think far more than Pittsburgh. They kind of play a similar style, but Arizona really pushes the envelope with these new rules. They have a bunch of speedy guys, and the Phillies are going to see them after the Dodgers. Just kind of a uniquely talented athletic team that puts constant pressure on the defense. If the, if the Diamondbacks add a starter and a reliever at the deadline, they could be an issue for the Dodgers. Uh, you know, the Dodgers right now, uh, whom the Phillies are going to see the next three games, so many pitching injuries. Uh, but right now also, they have an issue. They don't have a closer. They've blown several games in, in late innings uh, because they, they don't have a lockdown closer this year. So uh, while L.A. has a strong lineup, their pitching staff needs to get tweaked here before they make a run in October. And you haven't even talked about the Padres. I mean, the Padres <laughs> were supposed to, to be the class of the National League, but for whatever reason, they've been top-heavy. I mean, it, it, and it's just it, it's not fired yet for them on all cylinders, whether it's Machado and Soto and Bogarts, and they have all these high-talented guys, but there's just there's been a lack of chemistry that's been evident with that team. And, and we're, we're kind of waiting for them to figure it out. But, you know, so far, over a third of the way into the season, it hasn't clicked for them yet. So I'm waiting to see if they make a move to, to try to move to the top of the National League West. That'll be a very interesting one to watch. And it'll be interesting to see if they can with the whole television thing going on. I mean, uh, you know, the, the fact that they don't have a TV deal with that whole thing, some of these teams, how that's going to affect the moves uh, at the deadline. We know the Phillies uh, just took on an added partner yesterday to see if they can maybe get an influx here at the trade deadline. They're going to try to go get a big-name guy, sit in the back, get a five guy, as you kind of mentioned, Dave. Uh, this baseball season and around the trade deadline, I think is going to be really interesting because you said everybody is kind of just jumbled. What's the last wild card team? Washington's what six, seven out? Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy how you know. Like I said, that you have a decent week, you're, you're right in the mix from from just being a couple of games below 500. And there's there could be uh, some pretty decent starting pitchers available on the market. Are, are the Guardians going to put Shane Bieber on the trade market? Are the Brewers? Figuring they might not be able to re-sign Corbin Burns, are they going to put him on the market? There could be some, there could be some game-changing starting pitchers available for the right price at the deadline. By the way, uh, Colorado seven and a half. They are the deepest team. Washington <laughs> is currently seven um, in the National League Wild Card and race. And Mike, I'll throw one. I'll throw one out there for you. Can we write off the St. Louis Cardinals? I mean, the, the Cardinals are right down there in the mix with the Nationals and the Rockies at the bottom of the National League. But I can make a strong case that the Cardinals can win the National League Central. That's how crazy the National League is right Yes, now. yes, Cardinals seven games out. But, uh, yeah, you never can count. And, and you know, we saw you, the Washington team, two, what, uh, 19? 19. They were 19 and 31. Yep. You're counting yep. them out at that point. And they just all of a sudden went crazy and ended up winning the World Series. 
Uh, baseball, uh, the dog days are not quite here yet as we turn the calendar to June, but the Phillies, uh, Saturday, right here on 97.3 ESPN, they'll play the Dodgers. The Dodgers swept them in LA, and now the Phillies look to return the favor. Uh, Dave Jagler will be on the call tomorrow, right here on 97.3 ESPN with Ruben Amaro Jr., uh, 3.30 coverage right here on 97.3. Dave, appreciate it, man. My pleasure. I enjoyed it a lot. Have a good show. Good rest. Yeah, of really good insight. As uh, he'll call that game tomorrow, but really cool that he got a chance to see the Phillies in Washington last week, and you know didn't uh, you know uh, was able to tell us you know hey remember Dave uh, did the Nationals who played in Washington Schwarber Harper Trey Turner those three guys Dave all got an opportunity to. Uh, see, and he said, you know, I think uh, Trey Turner definitely wants to be back at the top of that lineup. Well, got to start hitting. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. You know, I'm almost at the end of my day. I said they started the day with my accelerator peach. The, the guys brought this over. Well, I just turned around. I got two cases of the peach now. I, I'm going to I'm gonna be bouncing off the walls over here tonight. When I'm going to be drinking these things. are so good. The peach paradise would be my, my pick for you. So, uh, I, I got to be honest. I, I had a great day because of the, the peach today. Whenever I can find a new peach drink there, Danny, I told you, I'm a big fan of the peach drink. There's a man down right there. The guy, by the way, over here, the uh, the kiwi fruit. Got to say, that kiwi. I'm not a big kiwi. Like, who takes a bite into the kiwi? The kiwi was perfection. It was really good. The guy says, he looks at it, he says, you guys want some kiwis? you like, multiple kiwi or we'll take one and then you're like i kind of wish i asked for more <laughs> that's what kind of day we're having here and you could be out here tomorrow right here in expo alley and check out all the samples and everything that's going on and then even stop by for a drink over here at mcgettigan's 19th hole where the guys my man tim brought us the the, the fantastic food the tenders were excellent that cheesesteak was off the wall man we appreciate them bringing by the food. And, of course, the leaderboard all throughout the day. You can check out the LPGA shop right here in Galloway. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Flyers made some moves this week, and it really changed the complexion of the franchise. That's coming up next on the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Now. Back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Danny Briere said the Flyers are open for business. What does that say about the direction of this franchise and what we saw yesterday? And uh, that seems to be the first domino. What could be next? Uh, 97.3 ESPN.com. Flyers insider Kevin Durso is back here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, KD, what's up, buddy? What's up, Mike? How you doing? All is good. So uh, Flyers make news yesterday. Proberoff traded. They get three picks, three players in return. Kind of give us an overview of the move and what kind of signals uh, for this Flyers team. Yeah, so a lot of the pieces that ended up being finalized in the deal, we discussed yesterday, actually. So... Sean Walker, Cal Peterson, we already kind of discussed the two of them. We didn't really know at the time about the prospect that's coming back. 21-year-old right-handed defenseman Helge Granz, who was a second-round pick of the LA Kings. 
you know, right-handed defensemen are a commodity, so you can't go wrong picking up one of them. And a 21-year-old fits the bill for what your future holds. You know, you're trying to find younger players, see what you can get out of them. So I think that's a great pickup to get in there. And then the draft picks, we had talked about the possibility of a first and a second round pick. Turns out there was another second round pick in there as well. There is one of the second round picks is conditional. So it might be, you know, it's either going to be 2024 or 2025, depending on if the condition gets exercised ultimately. But nonetheless, for Danny Briere's first trade as Flyers GM, to go out and make a deal that involves giving up one NHL roster player and two minor leaguers that ended up in L.A. and getting back two contracts that help to bolster the real meat of the deal, the draft picks and getting a prospect. It's a huge success for Briere to do that this early on and to really make that statement. You know, he might have said in the press conference they're open for business. He didn't have to with the way that that deal goes down, with what he gets back. They're very clearly looking to get draft capital, very clearly looking to maybe take on prospects, maybe even looking to take on contracts like they did from L.A. I look at the Sean Walker one in, in particular because he's only got one year left on his contract at $2.65 million. That's very movable if he has a solid season this upcoming season. And you decide at the deadline – Let's shop him, too. Maybe you get another pick. So at the end of the day, this evolving trade could have even more moving parts to it halfway through the season and turn into one player, Cal Peterson, a prospect that could be part of your long-term future or maybe another movable part down the line and become go from three to four draft picks, potentially. So Briere already opened the door for starting this offseason off with a bang and getting a lot of what he needed to start getting, which is draft capital and maybe some younger players. Yeah, and I guess, you know, we, we did discuss a little bit yesterday, but I want to go a little further on Carter Hart's name being mentioned. Is there any follow-up to that today? One, and number two, I mean, most people, when you got off, when we talked about the deal, they saw this deal and thought that Hart would bring even more in return than Provorov were. So where do you stand on where a heart deal could be currently right now. What do we know there? And do, would you anticipate a bigger haul in return for Hart than they got for Provorov? Yeah, so I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on the Carter Hart talk. Don't hold your breath anticipating a follow-up trade from the Provorov one in the immediate. Nothing appears imminent. At the very least, I think that the last 24 hours have shown the evolution of what could be on the way. If Going into this offseason, and even when Briere had, had brought it up about listening on everybody and Carter Hart was part of that, look, if he says they're going to listen on everybody and Carter Hart's included, he's going to get phone calls. So even if he's not actively looking to trade him, if he says he's listening, he'll get phone calls. And I still would have at that time maybe put a 15 20% chance on Hart actually being moved this offseason just based on saying you're listening because there's not really any smoke to that. It's, it's kind of a formality. They got to listen on everybody. After yesterday, I'd feel comfortable jumping that to a 50-50 shot because now there's way more smoke involved. I don't know that they're actively, as we talked about yesterday, actively working a deal, but there's got to be discussions for that kind of smoke to come out. So Briere's taking calls. Briere's listening on everybody. And the fact that he didn't balk at all on the mention of Carter Hart and the idea that, like, you know, didn't say – no, just because Cal Peterson's here doesn't mean we're trying to move him. You know, we still see him. He didn't He didn't exactly back him up with a, no, he's still the goalie of the future. He's still our franchise guy. We didn't just make this move just because. There's definitely more to this. 
I don't want to guarantee a heart trade this offseason because there's benefits to both sides. If you move him, the return should be significant. Absolutely. He's a 24-year-old, going to be 25 when next season starts. 24, 25-year-old goaltender who's proven he can be a number one in the league, especially if he gets a gets on a team that has a strong support system. So he's proven all of that and can be that player. But you're going to be, if you're in Danny Briere's shoes, you're going to be very careful about trading a player at that level because let's look at the difference between Carter Hart and Ivan Provorov. Like I said, Hart's 24 going on 25 into the season. Well, Provorov's 26. Optimistically, a rebuild you would hope maybe you could be contending for a playoff spot maybe in two to three years if all breaks the right way. But realistically speaking, it's probably closer to four or five years. Well, if you take Ivan Provorov's age and slap four or five more years on it, he's 30, 31 years old. Let's say four and he's 30 years old, 11 seasons under his belt. That's a lot of mileage. You start to wonder if he's going to be past his prime when you come out of this, or at least, you know, not as effective. Carter Hart's a little different. 24, 25, you take a goalie who's 28 years old, didn't debut as early as Provorov did. So he would be... You know, he was 20 years old when he debuted, so he'd be in maybe his seventh or eighth season at the time. There's a little bit of a difference. So if you think you can come out on the other side of this rebuild with Carter Hart as your goalie, then you think long and hard about it. But if someone makes you an offer that's as substantial as what you just got back for Provorov, you absolutely have to yeah. at least consider it. And like I said yesterday, maybe that's what makes you pull the trigger, well, even though you have that goalie. And I, and I guess, I mean, just kind of spitballing here, if one of the key players you got back in return for a trade for Provorov is a goaltender, is it counterproductive to keep to bring a goaltender back in return when you already have a goaltender? Like, I get it. You got all the picks and you got some other things. But I'm assuming you're taking Peterson on a flyer of, hey, this guy was really good. He has slumped. Let's bring him in and then use the guy we have to get a haul for more stuff and hope that this guy becomes like Bobrovsky did for everybody else when the Flyers gave him away. I mean, potentially, there's a couple different ways that this could go when you look at Peterson because Peterson could be exactly as you're saying part of the maybe not the solution for the flyers long term but playing for the flyers you know in place of carter hart yeah that could be a possibility you could also look at another goalie within the system maybe instead of carter hart felix sandstrom's the guy that they look to move it would not be for near as much of a haul but that would be a solution to allow for both to exist on the same roster peterson also is the type of goaltender on his contract because he makes so much money that you could waive prior to the season and move him to the minors if you wanted to start with Carter Hart and Sam Harrison or Carter Hart and Felix Sandstrom or whatever the combination is. I just think that in the early going, something else has got to drop here because very clearly you're making moves that are around draft capital, prospects, trying to get more in. You don't, you didn't just pick up Cal Peterson because you wanted another goal. You picked him up because that was your ticket to the other first round pick. That's how you get that level of capital when you agree to a trade that involves taking on salary and and taking on a contract that another team was looking to unload. The LA Kings made that, that deal and freed up. You know, they didn't free up all of this space, but $5 million is the cap hit for Peterson, 2.65 for Walker. They absorbed $2.25 million of Provorov's contract before it went to Columbus. And they used the money that they saved overall in that picture to re-sign Vladislav Gavrikov, who's a defenseman they acquired at the deadline that they wanted to keep and wouldn't have been able to without a move like this. So that's how it helped them out. And maybe the Flyers are looking at the possibility of, you know, hey, if we take that type of contract and, and agree to these types of deals, especially for where they are going into the upcoming season, it can lead to higher capital. And it's the same thing applies when you're looking at players 
like Hart, where if that's the value play, if that's what's going to get you the most in return and really set this thing up, you know, we're three weeks away to, from today to the NHL draft. Mm-hmm. That's when all of this is going to happen because you got to imagine if they are looking to move Carter Hart or at least taking calls and entertaining discussion that at this point they're looking for whatever draft capital they can get right now. This isn't about trading Carter Hart and saying, let's see if we can get another first rounder. They already have two in the 2024 draft. This isn't about getting another first round pick next year. This is about what can we do this year? Can we get it? Uh, maybe, an, you know, maybe another first, maybe a high second. Can we figure something out that helps us? Yeah. And right now, well, and not that's right. Like, they're not. So just to, to you know, to, for the, the listeners and, and the, the Flyer fans out there who are frustrated with where this team is and all that stuff, they're not mm-hmm. making trades today uh, specifically, okay, let's trade Carter Hart to get better today. They're trying to make the long-term stability of this organization two to three years down the road, I guess? Exactly. You, you know, this is It's rebuilding 101. If you're going to state your rebuilding and you're actually following through with it, then you're going to subtract some things that make you a better team today and build towards the bigger picture. You know, Them trading Ivan Provorov doesn't make them a better team today. They would be a better team next year with him on the roster than without. But when you have the opportunity to get a prospect and three draft picks back, including one in this year's first round, then you have to consider where you're going to be, what kind of you know, what kind of level of competition you're going to be facing and versus what level of play you're able to deliver right now, they're not close to the level of competition and the level of being competitive that they need to be to be even remotely in the playoffs, let alone contending for a Stanley Cup. So this is how you have to start the process and build by gaining a lot of draft picks and gaining that capital. And if it means, you know, Briere said it, if it means giving up a good player like Provorov, you have to do it sometimes. You have to kind of bite the bullet and understand that this is going to take some time to get back to where it is. But you can't keep moving forward with the same players and hoping for the best when it comes out on the other side and thinking they're part of the plan. Not everybody who's on this roster today is going to be part of the finalized rebuild plan. It's going to be guys who aren't even maybe not even draft eligible yet. You know, you're talking drafts two, three years down the line, potentially, that are going to fill out this roster. So that's how you have to look at it, and that's why you entertain, you know, that's why you traded Provrov, and it's why you at least entertain the possibility. Like I said, I'm, I'm holding it at 50-50. I'm not saying you have to trade Carter Hart today or this offseason, but it doesn't mean that he's off limits either. There's nobody off limits on the roster, and Danny Briere made that very clear with the open for business comments. All right, so they make two tra- or they made one trade. We think there mm-hmm. could be something else happening. They've got a new GM, a new team president, obviously showed a complete overhaul of the front office with uh, firing different scouts and developmental people. So completely new vision for this team, Kevin Durso. Does the coach fit into the vision? Not that I'm saying the guy stinks, but it just seems like an odd place. Has he completely changed his vision of where he is as a coach? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, I think he has because he was the one speaking this language before anybody else. So he really ushered in this new era, and they had to kind of, as as an organization, they had to kind of put people around the coach to an extent. It's a little bit – it's definitely a backwards way of building it, but they had to put people around him that understood and were going along with the same message because Chuck Fletcher wasn't, you know, so – that's that's why that's why I said yesterday it took way too long to get past the Chuck Fletcher part of this because he handled an entire offseason. He probably had no business handling in the first place. You know, you get through another trade deadline where it goes sideways or whatever. And, you know, I found it kind of strange 
that Tortorella was so defensive of Chuck Fletcher in that time for, you know, not trading James and Reams and all that stuff like that at the deadline because it went against everything that Tortorella had talked about in starting a rebuild, being found, you know, getting to that foundational level, all of that. Now you hear things, you know, Tortorella kind of had already hinted during the se- during last season. Danny Briere is a, a really smart guy, and that you know he definitely is a smart hockey guy. But we didn't know what kind of you know when he gets hired as the full time GM and gets the interim tag removed, we didn't know what kind of GM Danny Briere was going to be. He hadn't made a move at the NHL level yet. For his opening statement to be like this and to be so resounding towards the rebuild, that says a lot about the direction of this team and the fact that they're all on board. And, and really, I think the important thing also is. This was Danny Briere and Keith Jones with input from Tortorella, with input from scouts. Briere said he hadn't even seen the prospect play in person before. He leaned on scouts and analytics and all of the departments that this team has that are supposed to now be working in unison, as they talked about, and leaned on that to make a deal like this and kept the ownership group in the loop and kept everybody informed. And it was a cohesive team effort. And you know what you don't get out of that, though? You don't get somebody who's trying to patchwork things. You don't get somebody who's going against the rebuild message. You're not hearing from, you know, this is long from the days of Dave Scott being the ownership representation, Chuck Fletcher being the guy making the moves, the old guard that was there having an input on some things and maybe being called upon for advice or anything like that. This was Danny Briere making a decision with this new core pretty much surrounding Tortorella and Keith Jones and making a decision that went right along with everything that they said a few weeks back. So it's highly encouraging to see that this is the first, you know, kind of opening statement that they make on this offseason. Yeah. And I only asked about Tortorella because, you know, he's been a high intense coach who has had uh, Stanley Cup appearances. And you would think that he's the kind of coach that you bring in for a team that is on the verge of winning. Now, it almost seems that he has, you know, just hearing him talk the other day, it makes it sound like, Kevin, that he has almost embraced being a developmental coach, right? Certainly, yeah, certainly a little bit. And, you know, the other part of his job that I think this past season was really important, you know, kind of involves Ivan Provrov and certainly a couple of the other players that they could be moving this offseason, which is weeding out the players. You know, he's the first one who said addition by subtraction for this offseason. And he would know better than anyone. He just coached this team for the entire year. He goes through the day-to-day process with these players. So he would know who's fitting into this plan and who's not. And who do you have to kind of move on from sooner rather than later. So that's why, you know, Ivan Provrov comes up first. You know, maybe not the first move that everybody thought was going to happen, but he certainly was a possibility going into this offseason. And this is where you start to turn towards, you know, you can't deny the Carter Hart stuff, even though, you know, Tortorella probably – it would be in agreement with keeping him like everybody else's. It doesn't mean that it's not the right thing to do for a rebuilding franchise to get everything in as much as much in place as possible. But then you take the other guys. Kevin Hayes is very likely to be on the move this offseason. Tony D'Angelo could be on the move. And these are players that everybody could see it. They, they didn't exactly see eye to eye with Tortorella, Hayes and D'Angelo. So that's where you start to weed out the people who fit this plan as Tortorella laid it out to kind of start with, and then Briere and Jones come into the picture later when they finalize this new era front office that they have. So, yeah, I think Tortorella absolutely has embraced the idea of being developmental with younger players and also looking for the players that don't fit the timeline and don't fit the bill of what he would want. And I think it became pretty apparent pretty quickly with some of these guys that 
they weren't going to see eye to eye with him. He wasn't going to see eye to eye with them. And you were going to probably hit a crossroads when you got to the point yeah. where we're in the off season. The draft is coming up. This very, is when the activity is. Very interesting. Uh, Kevin Durso, our Flyers insider from 973ESPN.com over at 973ESPN.com. You know, um, right now you can check out, uh, this blockbuster trade, uh, as you talked about at the top that Danny Briere opened for business. Uh, Briere's a guy, you know, it's not like he has experience in this job. I mean, he takes his job as an interim. Now he has it. Um, so how would you kind of, I don't want to say grade, but what kind of impression do you now get from Danny Briere running this team on what kind of GM he might be? Well, it, it shows me that he can go to every avenue to make this kind of trade. You know, you could make a trade to start this thing off. And let's just say maybe instead of Provrov, the first move was Kevin Hayes. Well, there's not going to be a ton of leverage. It's a harder contract to trade because it's got equal length and it's a longer, or it's a higher cap hit. And Hayes isn't going to deliver what Provrov's able to deliver. Hayes was playing all sorts of different roles, all sorts of different minutes. There's not really any consistency there. Provrov gives you 25 to 30 minutes a night and a team can find use for that. That's where they, that's where they see the value. To go into an opportunity like this, instead of just making a straight-up player-for-player deal or a draft pick-for-player deal, he makes a deal that involves multiple draft picks, a prospect, taking back contracts with salary, getting a team, a third team involved to retain salary. Like He hit like every point that you could possibly hit as a general manager in this first trade. Instead, So to make such a complex trade and creative trade right out of the gate, you know, He's, you know, he talked about being kind of a studious player from a sense of being aware of what everybody around him was doing when he was a player, when, when he was with the Flyers and Paul Holmgren was his GM or going, eventually ending his career in Colorado and Joe Sackick's his GM, you know, watching guys like that. Well, sure looks like he took some good notes because he made a trade that certainly, at least today, you know, the draft picks and the prospect are gambles because you have to now do the, the rest of the work, which is make the right picks and develop the players. But to get the capital, at least to start with, is a huge success for him on day one of this. And we'll see what happens now that they have this second pick in three weeks in the first round of the draft. They have more coming up and certainly they could look to add even more picks with the guys that they could move in the next handful of weeks as we get closer to the draft and see what more they could do to build this team from the ground up. Yeah, real quick, I mean, what what does it mean for some of the quote-unquote veterans on this team? You know, Sean Couturier, who didn't play at all last year. Konechny, I mean, he's not a, a old guy by any stretch, but they have a bunch of guys who have been around here for some time. Uh, what does their futures look like? Well, I don't, I don't think they want to get rid of everybody. And, you know, they've spoken. It's interesting because, you know, when we talk about guys like Provorov, Hayes, D'Angelo, these are guys that not necessarily like have been kind of spoken about kind of discreetly. Like Briere said about Provorov yesterday when in making the trade, you know, he wasn't going to get into the details of what maybe happened behind the scenes and just said it was in the best of interest for everyone involved. Well, that kind of tells you that there's some things that were not going well behind the scenes. That kind of tells you that maybe the player was frustrated, maybe was looking for a fresh start himself. And that's why you do that. They have spoken highly of Couturier and Konechny and guys like that. And it certainly doesn't mean that everything, you know, those guys aren't untouchable by any stretch. But you're not going to try to completely dismantle the roster overnight either. So 
you know, what, you know, for Couturier, he's going to be hard to move because he hasn't played in so long that you're pretty much going to get nothing of value in return for him. He's going to have to at least play. The contract's too big. It's, you know, he's, he just recently signed an extension. So he's got seven more years to go on that contract. They're not going to be able to trade him, you know, unless they retain so much salary and get very, virtually nothing in return. But, but Konechny's an interesting one because Konechny has, like Provorov to an extent, it's going to be a manageable contract, and it doesn't have a lot of time left on it. It's only got two years left. So you've got something to work with there in terms of other teams looking at a player who can certainly contribute and maybe give you some significant value again. It doesn't sound like they're as interested in trading Konechny as maybe they were with Provorov, but you know, after yesterday, you never know. I mean, if Carter Hart is being discussed as a possible trade chip, and certainly there's discussions – there can be discussions about anyone because Hart seemed like the closest thing to untouchable. And if he's not even off the table in all of this, not that he should be off the table by any stretch, but if he's not, then everyone is on the table to be in discussions. So that's really the status, especially if you're a veteran. I mean, if you're a younger player, you feel a little, maybe a little safer because if you're getting praise from the coaching staff and you're doing the right things, yeah, you know what? You could be through this whole process and be out the other side and be 25, 26 years old when it ends, not when it begins. But if you're in your late 20s, early 30s, I wouldn't be so encouraged about my future in Philadelphia if I was a player who had that level of veteran status. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Danny Briere pulls his first trade as Flyers GM and obviously a new regime in Philadelphia. Now, these are guys who are former Flyers, but it does have a different feel behind these guys as opposed to the former Flyers they kept kind of tapping into in their past, right? Yeah, definitely. You're looking for modern approach here. You're looking for people who see where the game is going and are ready to embrace that, are ready to get more of that level of talent. I think, you know, Briere played recently enough that he certainly knows where it's going. He retired after the 2013-14 season, so less than 10 years ago, he was an active player. And Keith Jones has been broadcasting the game for over 20 years at this point, and I mean, for goodness sake, he's doing the Stanley Cup Finals for TNT right now. So he's seeing what the successful teams are able to do. And, you know, kind of easy, you know, kind of a good place to be between the benches to take notes on the speed and skill that's around the game and the other elements of the playoffs, the physicality, the grit, the the grind that is, you know, the, the level of intensity that increases in the playoffs. So you can do a lot worse than two guys who have watched the game evolve, been part of it at a very close level, know a lot of people in the game. And can use that to their advantage. So certainly, this is a, a much this is certainly a much different approach than what we've seen over the years, especially the last decade. All right, uh, Kevin Durso, more on this Flyers offseason right now over at ninety seven three ESPN dot com at Kevin underscore Durso and uh, Flyers making some news uh, yesterday, big time. And then we'll see what happens following that big trade. Is there another one down the road? KD, good to see you, buddy. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate uh, it. Kevin Durso, everybody, is back. The Flyers uh, finally doing something that have us uh, a little bit excited. Yeah, it's got us all excited as uh, we get ready to wrap up the show today live at the ShopRite LPGA. Our conversation with Kevin Durso here on the Sports Bash Live 97th ESPN. Well, that'll do it for us from the ShopRite today. Day one is in the books. Day two tomorrow. Day three on Sunday. And we appreciate everybody who stopped by, said hello, everybody who came out here today, and, of course, all our guests on the show. Coming up, Josh has game night, followed by game four of the NBA Finals. And then, of course, Phillies and Dodgers tomorrow. We'll have Sunday night baseball, Yankees and Red Sox on Sunday. 
I'll be back on Monday. Locker room with Billy Schwein tomorrow and Sunday. Where are they at tomorrow, Josh? Captain Krabby's Crab Cake Company in Seattle. The Schwimer will be live at the locker room. All right. Happy hour Friday, everybody. Got a late addition to the happy hour. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. This has been the Sports Bachelor 97.3.